the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Now back in the studio, we've made it from Washington, D.C. CPAC was excellent. We've got a lot of interviews to play for you still uh, that we did in pre-records. We started every morning at about 9 a.m., except on Friday, we started at 8 a.m. and went to uh, 1 o'clock doing pre-records and then did our show from 2 until 6. And we had some great uh, guests on. Hopefully, within this week or next week, we'll have uh, Sebastian Gorka on with us. We uh, got with them, and they weren't able to make it during a pre-record. So we're going to have them on live with us here in the near future. We ran into some Arkansans while we were there, one of them being our attorney general. She was giving a speech at uh, CPAC. In fact, she followed up the president on Friday and spoke about sanctuary cities. We caught up with her and talked about them with her as well. So you get to talk at CPAC. I do, Dave. It's good to be back at CPAC. I uh, was here a couple of years ago, and so it's great to be back. And uh, the president's opening up for me as I've... Oh, that's he's speaking at He's speaking at 9.15 uh, Central Time, and I'll be speaking at 10.15 Central Time this morning. All right. So you're excited about that. You're going to talk about sanctuary cities. I am. I'll be uh, giving really the, the different uh, vision of two Americas that the liberal left has for by having sanctuary cities, by putting giving more credence to illegal immigrants uh, without regard to U.S. citizens versus that America is the ultimate sanctuary city for the world and that we are a country of laws and we must defend and uphold the rule of law in order to have all the freedoms that we have. Well, it's going to be interesting for the simple reason we've got a couple cities in Arkansas right now that are moving that way. We've got Little Rock moving that way. We've got Fayetteville moving that way. I have J.R. Davis on every week, and I'm, I, I ask the questions about that about once a month and talk about it with him. The legislature kind of balked at some you know, illegal immigration stuff at the beginning of the year. Do you think what Little Rock is doing and what Fayetteville's doing is going to get more of their attention now? Well, I'm hopeful that uh, those city officials as well as state officials will work with federal authorities because that's what we've seen across the country is when you are tying the hands of local law enforcement uh, and to be able to handcuff these criminals and repeat criminals, then these, uh, this, these quote, sanctuary cities, end quote, become really a... And offer a safe haven for criminal illegal immigrants uh, who have come into the country illegally. And so we want to make sure that Arkansans are safe, that 
they have, you know, people who are raising their children, whether it's in Little Rock, Fayetteville, Berryville, Boonville, doesn't matter that they are having the, you know, opportunity to raise their, their family safe. And, and again, we're a country of laws. And I think that's what it boils down to is that uh, we want immigrants to come to the United States of America. We want them to come to Arkansas, but we want them to do so uh, legally and in adherence with the law. Well, what a big surprise. I mean, I don't care if you want to come to our country, but don't make the first thing you do breaking our laws. And, and I believe that's the important note when you talk about illegal immigration is that illegal is just that. It is a, a violation of the law. You know, it is not a gender. It's not a race. It's not a religion. It's not a creed. It is a violation of the law when we talk about illegal immigration. And for, you know, these cities, again, become safe harbors and for criminals and others to go from perhaps one sanctuary city to another across the United States, knowing that those city officials, that those leaders, that those the hands of local law enforcement is tied. And I think it's imperative that we stand up for the rule of law, that we stand up for Arkansans and Americans who basically just want to send their kids to a safe, a good school in a safe neighborhood and and know that uh, that the law is on their side. All right. Last question. Sure. And uh, that's a kind of it's kind of a simple one. Jeff Sessions has been very adamant to these cities and states for overall. I mean, Governor Moonbeam mm-hmm. out in California wants to have a sanctuary state. Uh, but the judiciary seems to be against him because the judiciary has a whole lot of leftists in it. You know, is the president getting enough rights viewed? Well, the president's made judges? some uh, pretty strong statements, uh, most recently with regard to uh, pulling ICE out of California, among other things. And uh, sanctuary states, sanctuary cities are very dangerous, again, not just for the people living in those cities but or states, but, you know, across America. And so, what, again, they bleed over. They sort of go like, like pirates from an island to an island, individuals who are criminals living illegally in the United States. And I believe it's important to, to crack down on those individuals to make sure that, again, federal agents such as ICE are able to work with local law enforcement and not pit our brothers and sisters in blue against one another. Well, go knock them dead. Well, thanks, Dave. We'll it's always good to you, see we'll you. We'll catch you up so, back in state. Well, thank you, sir. Well, Great to be we'll here we'll play you. some golf well, again. Well, that sounds good. I don't know when the weather's going to get warm, and I'm going to have time, but let's do it We, name, point, we may so. need a pontoon boat when we get back. <laughs> well, that's true. All Thanks, right. Dave. All right. That was the uh, Attorney General. Uh, she uh, joined us for a very short period of time because, you know, when you're giving a speech, they normally want you backstage over an hour before so uh, that they can uh, get you on stage on time. Leslie was a little late getting on stage because the president ran over about 20 minutes. But who's going to tell the president he can't run over 20 minutes? Don't forget about our good friend, friend uh, David Lucas. Uh, he knows that claiming your social, uh, social security benefits is complicated. It's confusing. It's uh, worse than it's ever been. Uh, ultimately, all these changes that have been made uh, by the federal government uh, can uh, get and cost you tens of thousands of dollars uh, in the time that you take social security. Uh, that can cost you money and increase taxes, higher Medicare premiums. And uh, he wants you to know that he is going to have another one of his Social Security workshops. He'll start off on March uh, 29th and 30th this year. Did 17 last year. All of them were sold out. So uh, if you want to go to this one in March, you need to register now 
or you may be left out in the cold, uh, you want to reserve your seat. Now, here's all you have to do. The registration fee is $18. It includes a 34-page Maximizing Social Security Workbook. It's all about Social Security. It is not you know, selling a product to you or investments or anything like that. So don't get cheated out of those thousands of dollars over the time you get Social Security. Take this course and know the best ways to claim your Social Security benefits. There's there's some intricacies there that you need to know about. Call 501-653-6690, 501-653-6690, or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. 19 minutes after 2, Sunny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. But did you know they have mechanics uh, on call? They have uh, the ability to put a transmission in if you would need a transmission, give you a three-year uh, you know, warranty, parts and labor, and unlimited mileage, put an engine in with uh, your car if you need it, uh, any of those big uh, you know, different uh, parts that you need done uh, can be done by the folks at Sonny's. Uh, RD will work hard for you, find the piece that you need because he's hooked up to tens of thousands of other uh, salvage yards, and he can find uh, the part that you need. Remember that at Sunny's Auto Salvage, they pick and they handle only well-maintained total loss vehicles. They offer one, two, three-year warranties on all their parts. And uh, also don't forget that auto recyclers provide jobs, contribute to the economy without government funding. They invest to find more efficient ways to reduce reuse and recycle and they play an important role in keeping arkansas the natural state that's sunny's auto salvage call them call them that's all you got to do and rd or somebody there will help you to find the part you need 982-7451 that's 982-7451 all right while at uh cpac we run into interesting people uh from time to time and here we got a segment for you with a Republican group that is against the death penalty. It was an interesting here at CPAC. question what, what and answer are you bringing? Right. So I'm part of a group called the Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty, and it's a group of conservative uh, lawmakers, conservative activists, uh, advocates across the country who have taken a look at the institution of the death penalty and compared it to the conservative principles that we have about not trusting the government, fiscal responsibility and saying, you know what, the death penalty really doesn't match with our with our values anymore. And so uh, we're here just kind of sharing that, talking to folks about it, let them know we're out there. Well, let's, let me ask you, go back and you said you, you're with this consortium that you're working with. Are conservatives that are concerned that it doesn't meet the, the principles of conservatism and republicanism? How is it moved away from that because it's been part of our country for right. years and years. Well, I think what's happened with conservatives is they looked at kind of re-examined our core values. For example, we're supposed to be the side of the spectrum that pushes against a growing government. We're supposed to be the side of the spectrum that says, you know what, we're really supposed to be pushing against a government that's too powerful. And when you look at the death penalty, 
that's the ultimate government power, especially at the state level. And we've started to say, you know what, that really doesn't match uh, what we're all about. Right. Well, are you saying the founding fathers were wrong because they believed in the death penalty? No, I'm not saying the founding fathers were wrong. Um, and at the federal level, that might make some sense. But where I've been uh, speaking is more at the state level and saying, you know, state by state, we really don't, we have such a, a disparate use of it. It's it's declining across the country. Uh, and what's been really interesting is that the champions of repeal have been Republican lawmakers across the state. So there are several states, as we sit here today, that are looking at repealing the death penalty, moving it through their legislative process. And it's the Republicans who are starting to champion this. And it's not because they care about the condemned. It's because they care about taxpayer money. And so that's been the interesting thing about this movement. All right. Doesn't it seem more suited that the battle is amongst judges and not uh, with the judges and not with with states? I mean, isn't the judges that have screwed this all up that you got to have X amount of, of repeal, appeals, you know, appeals and, and, and all like the rest? Well, to an extent, I think you can lay that at, at the judges, but it's really not the judges at the state level. It's the U.S. Supreme Court, through some of their case law over time, that has mandated appeals. There's a high burden to put which, somebody which to death. It, which, it was, which was brought by more of the liberal courts that did all of that, Warren and some of the others. I mean, they're the ones that have done this. Now that we're, it looks like we might even get another conservative justice on the Supreme Court, is it not time to go back and re-examine some of the things that were passed that were ridiculously giving the, the, the person who was guilty of crimes yeah. the time to do a couple of appeals and then move on? Well, I think, you know, if the Supreme Court makeup starts to change, they'll decide if they want to take that up. What you have to remember, though, is that even the most conservative judges have set a high bar. With well, and, and should, to, as it should taking be. somebody's life. I agree with yeah. that. I don't have any problem with that at all. So, what? What? <laughs> I got to ask this question. Sure. How have you been? Have uh, how have you been? You know, uh, received here by, at CPAC? Yes. I will tell you very well. And a lot of the, con- I mean, this is obviously a conservative gathering. And a lot of the conservatives have come and talked to us and, and taken information. One of the first things that they will say is, I thought I was the only one. Uh, I thought I was the only conservative who looked at it and said, wait a minute, how much money are we spending? Are we really doing the right thing by victims? Is this really the, the direction we want our government to be in? And so uh, overwhelmingly, more people are, are listening to that conservative side of this argument and saying, this makes sense from my perspective. So talk about your organization and what do they believe? You say, you know, lifetime in prison without the chance of parole. There's always a chance of parole. The governor can always spring somebody. The governor can, governors in most states can can, can commute a sentence if it's life in parole. They can also commute a life, or excuse me, a death sentence. So nothing about uh, the governor's power in, in any state changes with regard to the, the sentencing, there's always the chance that a governor could commute any sentence. But normally if they commute a death sentence, they say that this doesn't raise it, come, come as high as it needs to come. All they do is commute it down to life, life in prison without, without parole. parole. That's right. But life without parole commuted is you're out. Governor Time can served. do that. Yeah. Yep. We've had it happen in Arkansas. So, you know, I, 
I'll be honest. I'm all about the death penalty. Right. I, I have no. You can tell by my questions. Sure. I have no problem with it. It doesn't yeah. bother me at all. But uh, how are how are you going state by state? I mean, are you just talking to like-minded uh, Republicans and conservatives, or, or are you going to caucuses in other states and talking to the to the folks and say, hey? You need to think this way. All all of the above. Um, It's been both ways. They've asked this group to come in and say, okay, just explain a little bit more about these conservative values and how they apply. Uh, Sometimes uh, the conservatives concerned about the death plan will go in and work with legislators. Uh, You know, me, I was a Republican lawmaker. And uh, I what state? Nebraska. Okay. Nebraska, and I was uh, part of. I was the Republican and championed the repeal bill uh, in Nebraska. And I always am very upfront with people. I'm for the death penalty as well. It's just that I I have a different manner, right? It d- bothers me not at all that a condemned person will spend the rest of their life until the, they take their last breath in a 10 by 10 cell wearing holes uh, in the concrete as they walk around. That's cheaper to the taxpayers in my in my state when they do that. And so and they're not in danger of, of getting out. So I sleep well at night knowing that's going to happen. And I understand what the argument is about lifetime uh, in prison all right, versus how much money is typically spent yeah. on a person who is going to be put to death with all of the appeals. Yeah. I mean, there's just a ton of appeals that they can yeah. do. Part of, part of the cost on a death penalty case is because there's really two trials in, a, in all death penalty cases. There's the, the guilt-innocence trial, which anybody would have. And right. then if, if it's guilty, then you have the sentencing trial, which which is just as long and just as protracted as any other as any other trial and all of those costs are front loaded because those appeals are are hardwired into the the way that has to be done because yeah, of the, the US system Supreme court yeah. yeah by the system is is there any way to streamline that minus what the federal government has done or are we stuck with the system that the federal government has installed you know there's we looked at that in Nebraska and other states have looked at that. I mean, how can you speed up the appeal process? And there's states that have, have done about the best that they can to speed that up uh, within the, the structure of the federal government and the appeals that are mandated in that regard. And even the best, most efficient system, you're still talking from the sentencing phase to an actual execution is a decade or sometimes more. And so, right. uh, and even if you get it done, which less and less is happening, it's still at the end of the day more expensive than if you'd have chosen a different route. Well, you need to stop by Arkansas. We're pretty good at uh, lining them up and getting rid of them now. That's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> we do a pretty good job. I appreciate you coming by. Personally, I think that you guys are are on an uphill struggle to yep. convince conservatives and Republicans for this. I think there's some out there maybe for it, but I think there's a whole lot more sure. of them that have no problem with it. It is a grow. I will tell you this. It's a growing movement uh, with Republicans and conservatives coming onto this side. And it's just for different reasons than the liberals and Democrats have had for decades. So it, it's continuing to grow. I agree with you. It is an uphill battle. Okay, so but values, you said values, which means multiple. Back with you. That was the end of the interview anyway. Got Todd Starnes. Let's get to that. You know, with all the rain that you all had last week, I bet you who found out that you had yourself a leak in your roof were glad that you've been listening to me and you called PI Roofing and Home Solutions and they took care of your problem. 
Now they may not have already redone your roof, but they've, you know, patched it up so that you don't get any rain into uh, your house and all the rain and water that did get in and the problems that it caused, uh, you were able to talk to PI roofing and know that you could get that fixed quickly and efficiently because they've got people on staff that do all of those jobs like, you know, the interior painting and the drywall repair, going out and doing exterior painting if they need be and uh, carpentry work as well and uh, replace and take care of your insulation that got destroyed. It was all done quickly and efficiently and professionally by the good folks at PI Roofing and Home Solutions. I've used them. I know that you who used them this last week are very happy that you gave them a call or you just went and checked them out on the internet and got a hold of them. That's uh, PI Roofing Home Solutions at piroofing.com. They do have a direct phone number, 501-687-6246. You, talk, you call and, and talk to them, and Joel Johnson and his crew will take excellent care of you. You know, I've been going to CPAC now for 12 years, and uh, over the last few years, I've gotten to know a gentleman very, very well. He comes and visits our booth all the time whenever we're at CPAC, and that's Ambassador John Bolton. He came by, he sat down, and just the night before, he had been on Fox talking about China and about some of the things they were up to, and I asked him if he would join us and we could talk about that, as well as North Korea, and here's what he talked about. Ambassador Bolton, I caught you last night on Fox News on the Laura Ingram Show. You said some very important things that Americans should be paying attention to, and that's China. President Trump just gave a speech here at CPAC, and he said they keep calling China a developing nation, a developing economy. That is not only a misnomer, that is a flat-out lie. Yeah. Look, the, the Chinese per capita uh, income... Uh, is very small compared to the United States. And uh, since it's such a huge country, 1.3 billion people or thereabouts, um, that's how they can claim to be a developing country. But in terms of the sophistication of their technology, their ability, in part because they steal intellectual property at a fantastic rate, uh, they're a competitor of ours in many international markets. Uh, we, we all know about the trade deficit we have with China because mm -hmm. of their sales into the United States. Uh, and I think the president's absolutely right. We, we should treat them for what they are, not a poor developing country, but an economic competitor of the United States. And uh, I think what he has said about insisting that they live by the rules they agreed to in the World Trade Organization uh, is very important. And, and it's time to stop being a punching bag when they violate their obligations uh, and we don't do anything about it. So let's talk about what you were really, really concerned about, and that is the Chinese government is cracking down on American businesses, and they're basically telling them you can't be a Western company in an Eastern nation, and you're going to have to kowtow to what we think and what we do, and you've got to run it our way. 
Yeah. Look, this is uh, the, sort of the next step. The first step is they discriminate against Western companies, uh, European, United States. You read reports of the chambers of commerce of the U.S. and the European Union in Hong Kong and Beijing over the past 15 years or so. You see repeated examples of it. Uh, but now they're saying, actually, we're not going to discriminate against you. Now you're going to act like you're a Chinese company and you're going to be open to what we want and you're going to support our efforts at political control of the Chinese population and you're not going to cause us trouble. And what they're counting on is that uh, American companies make a lot of money in, in the Chinese market and that the money that they're earning will be enough to keep them in line. Uh, this is another example of how China doesn't play by the free trade rules that America believes in. Uh, and I think what uh, President Trump has said is he believes in free trade. He just expects people, when they commit to it, to follow through. China has pursued uh, policies of mercantilism and now political control under the guise of being a free trade country. So when you read in the mainstream media that China's taking America's role leading in international trade, that's complete nonsense. This is all about maximizing Chinese control over what's going on inside the country. And uh, they do it in, in the information technology world, Google and, and Microsoft and others kowtow to them. It's a huge mistake from their point of view. And I think it's right for the president to say, we don't accept it. If you want to play by these international rules we've set up, we're going to insist you play by them. Interestingly, I had somebody on yesterday who was talking about patents and how it has gotten to be such kind of a wishy-washy thing here in the United States. And a lot of companies go to China because China truly protects patents. Now, they use our weakness for themselves, because I don't know if there's any products that are out there that there's not Chinese knockoffs on. Is it time for the American government, the Congress, to get together and change the patent process in this country? Yeah, I think I think uh, we've kind of lost sight of what the purpose of patents uh, really are in this country. But I think the danger that you see in China is if you go there and establish a manufacturing facility, uh, you're going to lose whatever patented in, uh, products you have or patented processes. Chinese are going to steal it from you. They're going to steal your, uh, your industrial secrets. They're going to steal your best people away from you if, if we can. If you look at, uh, just as an example, in the military sphere, the uh, fifth generation Chinese fighter plane, it looks just like an F-35. Mm. Well, why do you think that is? Because they stole everything they sure. could from uh, the United States. They've got extensive espionage programs here, uh, industrial and against the government. They, they attacked uh, the Office of Personnel Management and 20 million American government personnel records were exported to Beijing. They, they compete in a lot of ways we don't don't compete in. And, well, they've been uh, doing it since Clinton. And, and they got in the way with it. So so th this is a real test to see if Trump can, can reverse that. He seems pretty determined to do it, I must say. All right. Let me move for the last part of this about North Korea. I was stunned by the American press and how they treated Un's sister during the Olympics. This is a woman, evidently, I don't know, maybe they didn't know, runs concentration camps and things in North Korea, probably responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands, if not millions of people. What is 
what is wrong with us that we can't call evil evil anymore? Well, I think fortunately it's not what's wrong with us. It's what's wrong with the mainstream media. Okay. Uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal back in the Obama administration called the press stenographers for the White House. The Obama White House would say something, they'd write it down and put it out. And North Korea uh, is a desperately impoverished country. It's a 25 million person prison camp, but they have the best propaganda machine in the world. And the the uh, uh, New York Times, CNN, you, you can just name one media outlet after another, played right into their hands. I mean, the North Koreans couldn't have written better stories than you saw in some of the American news media. Uh, and it shows our people have the attention span of fruit flies, that they can't figure out what's going on. Uh, so it was one of the reasons Vice President uh, Pence and his trip to the opening ceremony had such a difficult job to blunt the North Korean propaganda campaign, but to stay close to our South Korean allies as well. And, and in I, the press played against Pence. Yeah. You know, why you root for the North Koreans is just incomprehensible to me. I if, agree. If, if any of these uh, media people ever had a chance to go to North Korea and see the desperate poverty the people live in, uh, may, maybe that would wake them up. But they didn't do their research even before they went to South Korea. So I think uh, uh, we'll, we'll now see the end of uh, the propaganda charade. In fact, to lead the North Korean delegation for the closing ceremonies, they sent a general who many people think was responsible for for the sinking a few years ago of a South Korean uh, naval vessel killing 46 South Koreans. That's the real face of North Korea. And now we'll be back at the hard uh, issue of their getting a capability to drop thermonuclear weapons on any American city they want. They're very close to it. CIA Director Mike Pompeo has said they're within a handful of months, a handful of months of being able to do that. That's serious. Okay, so... There's people who say we're going to have to deal very, very belligerently with, with these folks. But how do you do that when Seoul that has millions and millions of people is like 35 miles from the demilitarized yeah. zone? You know, the president just announced new sanctions against North Korea. I think that's great, but I think we're running out of time. Uh, Trump doesn't have good options. That's the, that's the reality. I there wish, are no good options. I wish this were 25 years ago, but it's not. And I think absent some dramatic action by China, which I unfortunately I don't see them taking against the regime in North Korea, you may well be down to two options in a very short period of time. Either we accept North Korea with nuclear weapons or we look at military force. Now, I think on the military force side, I think we can destroy their nuclear and ballistic missile facilities. I think we can, we can largely uh, solve the problem of the artillery that they've got north of the South Korean capital. Uh, it's not without risk. But honestly, we have to ask ourselves the question, do you want to be in a position where North Korea has deliverable nuclear weapons to threaten us and our innocent American civilians here at home as far as the eye can see? But then China doesn't want us up on their border. See, that's why there's a solution here. We don't want to be on their border either, just right. like we don't want to be on the demilitarized zone. We want to have a force concentrated near Pusan, where they're maneuverable in Korea or across Correct. Asia. Now, China doesn't like that either, but, you know, life is hard. You don't get everything. <laughs> there's a deal there. If we had started this negotiation years ago, I think you could convince China it's in their interest not to have this bizarre regime in North Korea. But time is very short. That's the big concern at the moment. There may be a lot of ideas, but we're running out of time. 30 seconds. So what the wild card is China then? If we go up against North Korea, 
What do the Chinese do? Well, I think they fear uh, a flood of refugees into China. We fear a flood of refugees into South Korea. I think there's a way to work with China here. Uh, the most encouraging thing I've heard recently is a month or so ago, Secretary of State Tillerson said the two militaries, China and the U.S., were talking. That's very good news. I, I hope something comes out of it. But I tell you, we're in very unhappy and dangerous territory here because North Korea is not just a threat in and of itself. It will sell any technology it has to anybody with hard currency. That's correct. Iran, terrorist, other would-be nuclear weapon state. Uh, so this is a real moment of decision for the Trump administration. Appreciate your time, Ambassador. Well, thank- Always a pleasure to talk to Thanks you. again for having me. All Appreciate right. it. Thank All you. right. Ambassador John Bolton here on the Dave Ellswick Show live from CPAC. We uh, recorded that uh, so that we could get him on and, and let you hear what he had to say. Don't forget about Lewis Family Beef. They have their ranch up in Greenbrier. Their cattle are born and raised on their ranch. They don't use antibiotics or injectable hormones into their cattle. Uh, those antibiotics, if if are used, uh, that uh, cow will never be sold for consumption. So you get clean beef for your family from the good folks at Lewis Family Beef. They'll sell you a quarter, a half, or a whole cow. They uh, send that over to the packing house. Packing house talks to you, talks to you about how do you want it prepared, how much of it do you want to be hamburger, how much do you want it to be steak, roast, things of that nature. Then they'll contact Lewis Family Beef when they have it ready. And then Lewis Family Beef will deliver it to your home absolutely free. Call Cody or Sarah at 501-514-1494 or visit them on the Facebook, facebook.com, Lewis Family Beef. I've eaten their beef. It's excellent. It's better than anything you're ever going to get at the big box store. Lewis family beef. All right, we move along with some of the people we talked at CPAC with about a virtually cornucopia of topics. One of those people was uh, Ben Brubeck, and he talked infrastructure. So, Ben, I learned something yesterday from Grover Norquist, Americans about taxation. He said that if the president succeeds in changing the policies of where you're waiting like 10 years to get the necessary construction permits uh, to build something. Now, remember, the president said $1.5 trillion. Really, it's federal money of only $300 billion, then state money, and then, you know, working with businesses and stuff for the other, the rest of this money. But he said that in that in in that ten year frame that they were they were talking about getting rid of, he said that with the infrastructure work that we would do, we will save six trillion dollars. In other words, it's a four and a half trillion dollar win. That's so. What's the bigger story here? That we want to spend one and a half trillion? Or that we can save four and a half trillion by just changing a few rules. Yeah, so I'm not sure about all those numbers, but uh, I know for sure that President Trump's proposal, which came out last week, uh, calls for 200 billion in federal spending, leveraging that with uh, state, local, and private investment to get to about 1.5 trillion dollars of spending over the next decade. 
Um, and the idea in, in the proposal, which is very fascinating to read, is about squeezing more value out of investments in infrastructure. And one of the things which Grover, I'm assuming, talked about was permitting reform. Uh, right now, the construction Absolutely. industry is... Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's really a problem in the construction industry. It can take, you know, eight to ten years to get a project off the sidelines, get approved, go through the, the red tape, the bureaucratic red tape that the uh, the industry faces. And, you know, when that happens, it increases cost, time is money in the construction industry. And our contractors that we represent and associated builders and contractors are really excited about any kind of permitting and regulatory relief. Um, we, we think we're going to start seeing some private capital and private sectors get involved in investing in infrastructure. That's how you leverage that $200 billion into $1.5 trillion, uh, through something called public-private partnerships, uh, which is basically taking an underutilized asset, figuring out a revenue stream, and figuring out how to pay for the design, build, and operation and maintenance of a project. And you know, America fixes their, their infrastructure poorly. Uh, we don't do it correctly. Politicians like to invest in a project and then forget about it. They don't do the maintenance. They want to they wanna cut the ribbon at the beginning of a project instead of taking care of it. And so uh, some of these concepts like public-private partnerships, I think, will help address long-term uh, issues like we're facing right now. Yeah, I mean, that whole thing about permitting, what people don't understand, you do 10 years to get to the permit and then they say no, you've just wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, you've wasted a lot of time, a lot of money. And, and you know, a lot of countries do it right. They have a, a, an approval process where they say, we want to do this project. Now, we're going to try to figure out the way to do it in the most environmentally sound and responsible way. You know, our system, there's a lot of redundancies. There's a lot of state and local and federal agency overlap. Trump's signed an executive order to try to have an agency concierge to walk a project through the approval process and help repair America's infrastructure faster. All right. So make America great again, basically. Now, infrastructure, for the most part, means that uh, not roads. It's typically all the other stuff, rebuilding airports and, and things of that nature. Is that what we're talking about? Infrastructure can be used differently, but uh, most report cards say that our infrastructure in America has about a D or a D plus, and that's talking about our electrical grid, our water grid, our bridges, our roads, our tunnels, our airports, our ports, um, our dams, our water systems in rural America are, are, are in need for repair. Our water system leaks millions of gallons of water a year. We've got the Western water crisis happening. Um, so many things are relying on infrastructure, and so uh, I think it's kind of a catch-all term at this point. Well, we. We saw the problems in California after the drought was busted to the north with all the rain and the dam that almost didn't hold. Yeah, yeah. There's so many uh, dams that have that are under-maintained that are, you know, it's really a safety issue, unfortunately, for a lot of people in these communities. Um, and so I th people need to start investing in this. And uh, there's obviously an economic benefit to all of this. I mean, if you know that your community is safer, uh, you know that you can get to work quicker and you can ship goods to market and import goods mar to market faster in our ports, uh, there is an economic benefit. And our economy is on fire right now as it is. So I think this is a good way to invest some of that back in and ensure our long-term competitiveness. You talk about the electrical grid. Is your thoughts out there now that maybe we need to upgrade it to protect against the EMP and things of that nature? Because I've heard that it won't take much to protect it, but nobody has the will to do it. Yeah, it's a massive undertaking to fix our electrical grid. You've seen some pretty big power outages over large cities over the last decade. Uh, you know, those could become more frequent um, if, if we don't, you know, figure out different ways to maintain it and, and source it. Um, so, you know, that's a national security risk, too. There's a lot of different angles on the, on the infrastructure improvement that we have to consider. 
All right. Now, the president seemed to say, if I'm if I'm right, when he did the speech on this, that he warned states that if we give you this money, we expect you to act on it quickly and efficiently. Did you get that out of what he was saying? I think he's the, the proposal, the way I read it, it's really trying to transform the way that localities and states uh, think about infrastructure and plan and move forward with it. I think they want it to be something that's attractive to the market, uh, again, getting private capital involved in there if they can, and really you know, being efficient with those taxpayer dollars through some different reforms discussed in the proposal. So uh, I think it's it's not just like a Obama shovel ready, ready jobs kind of effort where you're filling potholes. Which was and, a and, yeah, bunch of BS. Yeah, definitely wasn't popular and, and didn't, you know, d- result in, in big transformative projects that'll help get the economy going and, you know, solve a lot of these issues we're dealing with. All right. So rolling back regulatory reform, this president has been awesome about that. How important is it? I, I, it's, it's pretty amazing talking to our federal contractors who build for the federal government, meaning they build for the Army Corps and GSA. Uh, they've had a target on their backs during the Obama administration, and now they have the oppor- opportunity to invest in their people and equipment and, and chase contracts on a level playing field. Um, and, and really, that's helping everyone out and helping taxpayers get the best possible product at the best possible price. So uh, cutting unnecessary regulations like fixing the permitting process, uh, doing a couple other things that would result in and more jobs and, and better infrastructure is, is kind of at the heart of the proposal from what I've seen so far. Now we got to see what happens in Congress and kind of see the sausage get made. Uh, and that's a whole different ugly. story. Yeah. It's ugly. Always ugly. <laughs> you know, because Democrats are going to get involved in this and they're going to try to help out the states that are blue states a lot. And it, it, it's got to be important projects that need to be done for all Americans. The messaging out of the White House is that they really don't want these jobs to be sort of you know, bridges to nowhere, politically charged yeah, investments. These are transformative investments that really are market-driven and value-driven. And so that's something that I think everyone can get behind, whether it's a red state or a blue state. I think the Democrats politically are going to be digging in. They don't want to give Trump another win after tax reform, which is wildly possible, you know, cycling into the midterms here. Yeah. Um, you'll see some Republicans who don't want to invest anymore federally because they think we don't have enough money to to spend 200 billion over 10 years isn't that much seems like it's going to be reprogrammed from other other uh, other programs so um, it'll be an interesting sort of calculus about where the votes come from and how this will work out in, in the long run um, you know one of the other components that we're really worried about is workforce development in the construction industry we have a 500,000 person shortage of skilled labor in the industry and if you're investing another 1.5 trillion over the next decade that's going to be about a million million and a half people that need to come into the industry to Okay, now we're going to talk further with him a little later on in the week, and we're going to play more of that. Out of here. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. 
Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T, lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. Into the uh, 3 o'clock hour we go, and we're going to move away from some of the pre-record things that we did uh, at CPAC move in to uh, talk about a subject that's had a lot of coverage over the last uh, few days happened back on valentine's day the shooting in parkland florida uh, we're going to talk with uh, ed monk from last resort's uh, firearm training out of whitehall uh, ed always joins me when we want to talk about this type of a topic because uh, he has studied extensively uh, the different uh, mass shootings and shootings that we've had here uh, in the country. Ed, thanks for coming on. And by the way, the first time that Ed's been on uh, the Dave Ellswick show here on Facebook Live, and now you know what he looks like. He cannot hide any longer. And for most people. Well, it's uh, no, it, it isn't because they've been looking at my mug uh, for a few weeks as it is. So they're, they're used to it now. So they're grading on a curve. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. so. I don't know. So let's talk about this. There's a lot of information that has come out now over the last few days. The very beginning, and still even today, because in front of the Capitol today, there are several hundred students uh, demonstrating. These are kids that go on, you know, the the, uh, uh, Internet, letting you see them eat a, a Tide Pod, and now they want to tell us what our gun control policy should be like. So you tell me, I mean, uh, are the emotions still running really, really high? Do you believe is is that the reason we're hearing all this stupidity? Yeah, one of the first slides we show when we do an active shooter presentation is you're guaranteed to get two things immediately following a shooting: M- emotion and politics, and 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 they're they're an evil couple when they go together. So right now you see politically motivated people you, trying to use emotion to get people to think emotionally and act emotionally, which is illogical. And that's what you see right now. And just, uh, just listening to people, either they're looking at it on Facebook or listening to radio shows or TV shows where they have guests talking about what they think ought to happen based, you know, it's all emotional and it's, it's and most of it, unfortunately it's sad and it's laughable. Most people that are uh, just out there and want to say something like, well, we got to stop this. So we've got to confiscate the AR, you know, 15s out there they don't come on my show because i'll look at them and say uh, uh you want to rethink that but and well and the first thing is we got to stop this i don't know how to stop it i don't i don't think anybody truly can say if you do x y or z you can stop it so well, anytime it, somebody says that i immediately say you're you're unrealistic if somebody thinks that they can stop it out there Nothing. Nobody has stopped somebody who's evil from doing what they want to do. Yeah, Cain and Abel. But you'll see people that uh, I saw an emotional father. You know, God love him. He lost his child in this thing. But he's in that listening thing with the president. And he says, we got to fix this. We got to fix this. Well, if fixing is lowering the number of people that are shot, saving some lives, then that's realistic. And, and I think we can do that. 
But if but we keep hearing people say, in order to stop these kind of attacks, we have to stop these kind of attacks. That would be nice, but that's not the world we live in. All right. So let me ask you the question that has bothered me ever since this happens. How did a person at this time, I think he's 19, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I've read. Uh, who took an Uber to the school. How did he get from that taxi through the door with high capacity magazines, which are not small, they're not light either, and an AR-15, and then stand in the hallway, get to fi- hit the fire you know, alarm, and just mow people down how did he get the gun in first? I mean, it's not like you can stick that in your pocket. You just walk in with it brazenly. Uh, what I read was it was in a case. I don't know what the case looked like. He had a backpack and a case. Well, this kid was not supposed to enter the school with any kind of backpack. Uh, well, it, he wasn't supposed to be on the school property with a rifle, but rules and laws. I know, it, I know yeah. that. This if, will play in yeah. what we're going to say if, later. If something snaps in my head and I want to go kill or shoot 30, 50, 100 people, then no rule and law is going to stop me. Well, according to the YouTube video, he wanted to be a professional school shooter. Well, I don't know if he got paid for it. I don't know if he's professional, but he was a school shooter. Anybody can be a school shooter. It's Yes. It's, we've had him here in Arkansas as, as young as 11. So, mm-hmm. And that's what people don't want to admit. Uh, something that I, I quote from a guy named Dr. William April. We, we got to admit that we live in a world where things are not as they ought to be. And we do have people that murder other people. And I wish we didn't, but we do. So we can either cry about it, get emotional about it, or we can logically look at it and do the things that will save some lives, probably many lives, but not all lives. All right. And even if you sit down and spend all the time in the world hardening a target, if they are bound and determined to do something, to kill people, innocent people, children at that, there's not, you can't do everything in the world. You can't stop it. You can't harden everything. That's correct. You cannot harden everything. On the air from CPAC, guy said, yeah, we can harden the schools. Then what do you do with the buses? Exactly. It, it's a whack-a-mole. So, I, well, I mean, Israel arms their school bus drivers. So there, there is a way to limit the risk. But exactly, you cannot harden everything. You cannot stop this. You can try to deter as much as possible, and you can try to limit the number of victims when they show up and shoot. All right, so they haven't, uh, they have not talked about how this kid got in with an AR-15. I, most schools that I go to now, uh, y- you can't go just through the doors; they're locked. They got to buzz you in. Yeah, but um, you know, Sandy Hook was locked. They they lock automatically. But he shot his way in. He shot his way through glass with the AR-15 that he had. And and, ex- and the guy ex- that was there to stop him probably would have ran the other way. Yeah, and and. Now, Sandy Hook was an elementary, but except for this guy, one in the last couple of years out in California and one in Colorado, I only know of three active shooters at middle and high schools where the shooter was not a student in the class. So I hear a lot of talk about hardening the schools. I'm not saying don't do it, but when the vast majority, the overwhelming majority in the past of shooters at middle and high schools have been the students, you can harden them all you want, but state law requires you to go get them with a bus and bring them into your school. So... You still got to address what happens when we let a student in here and he's got a gun. All right. So let's talk about some of the other things that we have found out thus far. We know that he started shooting and then 
he knew he was running out of time before he would either be gunned down in the hallway or be captured and, and taken uh, to the jail. So he left the gun and he left several of the magazines behind, got in with all the kids and walked out of the school. And they found him at a walking down the street after he had stopped and sat in a fast food restaurant for a while. Yeah. I mean, there's no way of telling who the shooter is if he does the shooting. And then as everybody's leaving, he's in with a bunch of kids, his own age. Yep. It's, it's, it's unusual for an active shooter to escape. So this, that was one of the things about this one that was unusual, <coughs> but the, the sad thing is, is we let him go on for five minutes. He could, he should have been stopped in the first minute and the victim count would have been very low, but instead he was allowed to shoot for five minutes and then say, uh, I guess that's enough drop the weapon and leave. We, we can't let them do that. We can't let them play out their fantasy on their terms. We got to end their fantasy. All right. So for all the schools that are out there and they've got an officer on duty at their school, you might want to sit down and talk to them and find out if they understand if somebody starts shooting in the school, your job is to take them on. Not to go the other way. Well, I mean, you can have that conversation, but I, I can't imagine you having that conversation and that person saying, oh, I, you know, I don't think I will. I think I'll stay outside. You know, the, the mantra is going to be go in. Since Columbine, in every active shooter training I've been in that was connected with law enforcement, they preach and preach. Columbine changed the paradigm. We no longer will do like they did in Columbine. We are going in. They, they say that every they time. don't. No, they don't. They didn't at uh, Binghamton. They didn't at Sandy Hook. They didn't at Orlando. They didn't, and they didn't in Parkland. So we, we say that. It sounds really good. And in some cases, we do. I can give you examples where, one, the first responding cop went in and took care of business. But by and large, overall, they're not. Everybody is not. And we the Parkland, if what's being reported is accurate, and that's always a, a possibility that's not, then this is a blaring example of even like, well, like Orlando, like Columbine, even if you have a uniformed, armed law enforcement office, officer present right there when it starts, you could still have double-digit victims. Now, let me uh, pull up this story real quickly that I saw today. Uh, I'm no coward, says uh, the deputy who didn't go inside Parkland School during massacre. The longtime campus cop wildly lambasted for not entering uh, the high school during the massacre that killed 17 people made his first public statement today saying he did not storm the halls looking for the shooter because he initially did not believe that gunfire was happening inside the building. Let me just say, I can't say what I want to say, but that is pure unadulterated BS. Well, then where did he think it was coming from and why didn't he go there? If, if you know if the video shows him going to a different place and it's reasonable that he thought that's where the gunshots were coming from, I'm willing to listen. Uh, but what I'm reading is they just stayed outside and established a perimeter, and that's exactly what they did in Columbine back in 1999. Said I heard gunshots, but believe those gunshots were originating from outside of the buildings on the school campus, according to the release from his lawyer. BSO trains its officers that in the event of outdoor gunfire, one is to seek cover and assess the situation in order to communicate what one observes with other law enforcement. I will tell you just from my own military training, 
I can tell the difference between a firearm that has been, uh, you know, shot inside a building and one that has been shot outside a building. Can you not do that too, Ed? Uh, you should be able to, but then, you know, pretty soon, hopefully kids were coming out of that building and could have given that intel. But again, if, if he not moving, imagine that there's gunfire. My training says to take cover and report. If, if every law enforcement officer takes cover and report, no one's going to stop him. And it's, it, I'm, I don't mean to make fun of the situation, but it, it's, a, it seems to, you remember, you know, the commercial, uh, I'm the, the commercial, uh, the funny commercial about the bank robber comes into the bank and there's a guard there and the people on the ground ask the guard to do something. He goes, I'm not, I'm not a security guard. I'm a security monitor. I just tell people when something's happening. We don't want cops that just take cover and report. Somebody's got to shoot the guy. Somebody's got to either shoot him or cause him to commit suicide. So what if that deputy would have ran in there and just announced himself, police, police, sheriff's office, however they announce themselves, I think there's a good chance the shooter either would have dropped his rifle early and left or, or shot himself, as most of them do. Maybe not save everybody's life but save a majority of lives. Single-digit victims is way better than double- or triple-digit victims. Yeah. And, you know, every, and, and if we could ask everybody whose life would not have been snuffed out that day, uh, I think they would agree with that. Every single active shooter attack that I've studied, if there's someone there present at the time it starts that has a gun and aggressively act to stop him, we have single-digit victims every single time, nine or less. Uh, unfortunately, here we had one armed person present that didn't act, and so we have 31 people shot. Well, they say that the uh, Broward uh, Sheriff's Officer's policy states that an officer, quote, may not must enter a building when an active shooter is attacking, meaning Peterson, uh, the deputy, might not have violated any technical rules. Still, police tactical experts say most active shooter training calls for uh, the police to identify the location of a gunman, whether inside or outside, then go towards the gunman. Since Columbine, every I've done a lot of active, attended a lot of active shooter training. That those that were put on or related to law enforcement, they always say, "We we're not going to make the same mistake we made in Columbine." And sometimes law enforcement does not. But here, Sandy Hook, Col- uh, again Columbine, Orlando, Binghamton, New York, cops stayed outside. Unfortunately, far too long. All right, buddies here, Ed Monk, and uh, he is with Last Resort Firearms Training. They train people about how to deal with uh, active shooters. You've worked with some school systems, have you not? Yeah, one of the school systems in Arkansas that's uh, licensed to have their own armed staff, we've trained them every summer. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk more about this here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, The Answer. we got about five minutes left here in this uh, half hour, Ed, so... Let's talk about this topic first. How many schools do you believe you could walk into, look at the principal and say, let me see your SOPs. Uh, that's military for standard operating procedures. Uh, in case of an active shooter, how would you, you know, take care of the situation? How many schools uh, do you believe? And, you know, using a hundred, you know, a hundred being every school and, and down the line, what percentage of schools do you think have number one, that type of, of a program? And number two, 
actually practice it like they do for tornadoes and well, things of that nature? I, I, I think I'm going to give you an answer you're not expecting. I think almost 100% of them have a plan because I think it's mandated. Okay. So when we give a presentation to them, we call that, we call that tab D. You go in and, you, and you, they got a three-ring binder, and tab A is fire, tab B is earthquake, tab C is tornadoes, and there's tab D, active shooter. They have some pa- pages that somebody typed. They got a plan. Tab tab D would be nuclear weapon. Tab E would be active yeah, shooter. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so they have a plan so that they assign somebody to type, and they found another one on the Internet and copied and pasted it, and it's in there. You right. check the block. Uh, and they probably have a drill that they plan, that, that, that they do. The question is, does that drill do any good? When I started teaching high school after I retired from the military in 2007, I distinctly remember sitting down and having the assistant principal in charge of security tell me, Ed, we'll announce active shooter over the intercom. Your job as the teacher in this classroom is to get all the kids and bunch them up in the corner and wait. Worst case scenario, bad thing to do. Yeah, it, that's exactly what he was saying. I'm saying so, so as the shooting gets louder and the screaming gets louder and he's heading to my classroom, I don't push the windows open and tell him to run. I use my authority as the teacher, authority figure, to keep them in the classroom so that when the, the shooter comes through my door, that he's got a perfect target. That's exactly, Ed, what you're supposed to do. And I said, why don't we, okay, if we can't run, why don't we fight back? When he comes through the door, he's vulnerable. Why don't we fight back? And he looked at me and he said, Ed, we can't have a policy that says fight back because our insurance would go up. There you and go. And I honestly, I honestly like, thought, is this a prank they play on first-year <laughs> teachers? Are they videoing me? Am I getting punked? But that was it. They're worried about. And when I said, why can't we run away? He said, well, Ed, we'd lose accountability of the kids. Yeah, we would, but they'd be alive. Yeah. Uh, if they're dead on my floor, we can count every single one of them. But that's some, that's some of the administrative beliefs that are going on there. So I believe almost every school probably has a policy. I bet almost all of them, most of them practice some kind of drill that's very easy to do. But will it save lives? In fact, I think the policy at that school that I taught at for three years would get a lot more people killed. So they had a policy, and we practiced it at least monthly. But I think if an active shooter would have come in and we'd have executed that plan, they'd have got killed. Uh, And the other problem with that lockdown drill is if you look at school shootings, the vast majority start in two places, the front foyer area and the cafeteria. A lot of schools say if you show up early for class, before the first bell, everybody goes to the cafeteria, and they cram three, four, five, how many, 600 kids in the cafeteria, and that's where a lot of shootings have happened. How do you do a lockdown with a huge open cafeteria when the shooting starts in there? It, it, it doesn't, but lockdown drill doesn't. So their plan doesn't accommodate that. What do you do if it happens at a basketball game, at the prom, at a choir happening? Uh, what, what happens if it happens when you take three buses to a science museum on a field trip? So they have a plan, but the ones that I have interacted with uh, usually aren't helpful. They usually they're, they're a plan to check the block to say we have a plan and to meet the state standards. It's not a plan that will save lives. Ed Monk is my guest. Last Resort Firearms Training is his business, and uh, they do classes on active shooters. So if you'd like to, you know, if you're a principal or a superintendent, you want to put your staff through something like that, you can. Uh, I th- do you think that legislatures in states now will look at arming those teachers who feel like they can carry a, a, a live firearm? Yes, I've had calls from two state legislators today from Arkansas. I think the, the math, the math, which is not Democrat or Republican, it's not Methodist or Baptist, it's just math, is showing if you, if you get away from the emotions and the politics and you just look at logic, math is telling us the only thing that will truly save lives is having an armed person present 
when the attack starts that will have that'll have the will to shoot back okay so a good guy with a gun exactly or gal either one all right we gotta get take a break let's get to fox news when we come back uh ed and i will talk further about this if you've got questions 823-0965-823-0965 on the dave ellswick show now i'm sorry if you're listening to the show and we're talking about using force against force violence to stop violence because i'm going to tell you what unless a gun arrives in a very short period of time and i'm talking about seconds not minutes the bad guy will take out as many people as he can and ed has said many times on this show that somebody dies every 10 seconds in a mass shooting So what do you want? Do you want to have people that are armed and in the schools or do you want to have dead bodies in the hallways? Because that's your two choices here. It's that simple. That's the two choices that you got. Look, I'm not, I I wouldn't be uh, all that uh, happy that we've got to go to the position because our, our culture is so destructive now that we have to, have teachers that want or have passed uh, concealed carry classes and then additional uh, training to be able to or want to even go and take on an active shooter but that's where we're coming unless you're going to put the police department inside every one of your schools i'm not talking about one person we saw what one person just did in broward county he did nothing yep and Putting multiple cops in every school, I think, is cost prohibitive. Yes. Uh, I got no problem with having a resource officer. No, at the I school, don't either. Although I, but if you do, uh, you don't know, like we show a slide, which which cop are you going to get? Are you going to get Chuck Norris or are you going to get Barney Fife? You don't know. And then even if you will drop his bullet. Yep. Even if you're a school, even if your school resource officer is Clint Eastwood, the just the, the aggressive, you know, good with a gun, best guy in the world, um, he, he may still take multiple minutes to get there. My brother's a resource officer. If if he is in the parking lot when a shooting starts in the cafeteria, it'll take him a minute or two to hear about it by phone or radio. Then it'll take him another two minutes to get there. And all school resource officers are human. They have days off. They have sick days. They have to go to court to testify about things. They have training days. So even if you have a school resource officer, he's he's not there all the time. And even with if he is, if the shooting happens a far piece away, depending on the size of the school, it could still take many minutes for him to get there. If there's a volunteer-trained armed school staff, and we keep saying teachers, I don't care if they're a janitor, cafeteria worker, uh, I don't care what they are. Um, if there's one or two on each in each wing of the school, two would be two or more would be better because then if one teacher is sick or on a field trip, some there's somebody in every wing. That means somebody could get to a shooter anywhere it happens within 30 seconds, and you'd have single-digit. And we keep saying the math, it would, it would mean fewer people shot. But if people knew that every school in this school district had armed staff, they might not go in that school. They might go somewhere else. All right. So let's talk about this sheriff. We got, uh, about seven or eight minutes to talk about this. This guy is called, he's the one who called out the deputy. Um, he says, you know, he's the one responsible for the, you know, um, may enter the school, not must enter the school. 
And he said a lot of other things uh, along the way that uh, has been uh, questionable. We've got uh, a police department, and this is a sheriff's department, that had called on this kid's house 38 times because of problems. Uh, we can get into the FBI, too. They had They knew this kid. They knew what he was up to. They knew what he might do. And they didn't do anything of pulling him in. You know, the Secret Service, when they see somebody make a threat towards the president, a congressman, or a senator, or whatever, they go see that person, and if they deem them perhaps dangerous, they can take them into custody for 72 hours, enough time to uh, administer a psychological exam to see where they're at. We're going to have to have the same kind of thought process in our, our schools since it's a public building. Yeah. I, 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 people made mistakes. That's obvious. Uh, and people say, you know, we're, and I don't know the, all the details of this shooting, but you know, there's the same things happened in other shootings in the Orlando shooting. Well, you know, the police talked to him, the FBI talked to him. Yeah, but what they talked to him about did not develop enough evidence, enough proof to, to do anything like arrest him or take his guns or take his rights away. Uh, I don't know all the – I know, yeah, they were called out there a lot. The kid obviously had problems, and I shouldn't say kid because he's a 19, he's a man. Uh, but but and there are some cases like the New Life Church shooting out in Colorado where everybody, including his immediate family, said we had no idea idea yeah. that was going on inside of his head absolutely none so if i mean if we, if we get a credible threat absolutely if you see something that's serious the problem is to see something safe that something is a double-edged sword uh you, you, then you start getting reports on little silly things like the division symbol up on the chalkboard or the fact that the two-year-old pointed his finger at another kid in the way that might have be looked like a gun or well i i I heard him talking about that he goes hunting, so I know his family must have guns, that, or, or just false reports just to, to get the cops to act on them. So. Well, the other thing is the students stand to hold some of the blame. They're not wanting to take any of the blame because they even admit it, that they, they looked at this kid, and if there was somebody going to shoot up the school, that's the one that I would have picked. But he never reported anything about the kid. I mean, you know, I, well, I don't want to be considered a snitch. Well, but there again, you say, if somebody was going to do it, it would have probably been him. That's that's really not a. I mean, you can go to the police with that. But all they you know, they could go interview the kid. Well, I mean, surely you should have gone to the principal's office and said, I "Gotta tell you, you know, he's been acting like he's pointing a gun at me, or he's threatened me somewhat." And I wanted to come and tell you guys, you yeah. need to know this. If if you feel threatened, report it. But there's only so many. There's only so much stuff that can be done. But and this one, my understanding is somebody in Mississippi saw a Facebook post where he specifically yes. talked about shooting yes, up the school. he wanted to be a professional school shooter. And that was not passed to the FBI office in Florida. So th there was a ball drop there. Could they have prevented it? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Well, could have, would have, you know, yeah. that's, it, it, there's questions about that. I just look at all the different drop balls in this, and I believe if a few of those things had been picked up, we may not have been looking at this type of a shooting incident. Yeah, clearly, it's, it's. I guess it's possible that it may not have happened at all, but clearly it, we could have kept it to a very small number of victims instead of 31. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the whole thing of killing 17 kids, 
Yeah, that, that, that should shock all of us. There's no doubt about it. But taking away people's Second Amendment rights is, is not the, the answer here. Let me have you talk to folks about the, the AR-15 has been used in, in very few of these mass shootings. It's typically semi-automatic pistol, isn't it? Uh, no, the AR-15 is a semi-automatic rifle. There's, there is right. a pistol version. It just has a shorter barrel and a shorter No, I'm just stock. saying semi-automatic pistols have been used more often than an AR-15. Um, over the whole thing. Yes. Most, most of them start with a long gun, a rifle or a shotgun of some kind. Often that has been an Wait, AR-15. a shotgun, not an AR-15. Sometimes a shotgun. Uh, sometimes I'm, an AK. I'm just yeah. being the devil's advocate. Uh, Pearl, here Mississippi. It was a lever action rifle, but I'm here. I'll try to blow some people's minds. People out there that have the emotional, political or knee jerk. We got to ban these AR-15s and they're screaming it right after this shooting. Cause this guy used an AR-15 to kill 17 and wound 14. That's the last numbers I have, 31 people. In 1996, a gentleman went into his school in Dunblane, Scotland, and he killed 17 people and wounded 15. Killed the exact same number, wounded one more than the guy in Parkland, and he did it with four pistols, four handguns. Two of those handguns were created in 1935, meaning the model was created, not necessarily his gun, but that model that he used was created, invented in 1935. The other two he used were created or invented in 1956. So we see Parkland, if we ban AR-15s, if we can wave our hand and they all, even ones that pre-exist, magically disappear off the face of the Which earth. Which are millions. Um, the guy in Dumbline proved you can just walk into a place with four handguns and, and do worse than the guy with the AR-15, and handguns are much easier to conceal. So, but, but they'll still yell it because this is reverse logic. This isn't start from the facts and go forward. This is start from my emotion or political thing of I want AR-15s banned and then try to work backwards to the Parkland shooting. Um, but he used an AR-15. Yeah, but now a guy in Dunblane did worse than this guy did with four handguns. So explain to me if you were successful in violating our Second Amendment rights and magically making all the AR-15s go away, how would you prevent somebody from doing exactly what was done in Dunblane? Uh the guy in uh, Northern, Illinois, Northern Illinois University used a shotgun and two handguns. So it's if 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 he drove a Ford car to the place to do the shooting, you banning Fords won't prevent it because the next active shooter will ban it. Will drive a Chevy. It's just silly political knee jerk emotional stuff. It makes absolutely no sense at all. I saw a meme the other day, which I thought was very good. It showed a a mass collisions on the highway. And several people had died in this mass car wreck. And it said, should we ban all cars or are we smart enough to know it wasn't the cars that caused this? Yeah. Because they never understand that it's about the person who's got the weapon. It's about a person who went out and, uh, and in many cases legally bought a firearm and used it for a purpose that you're not supposed to use it for. Yep. That it's, it's just this evil AR 15. If we got rid of it, all of our problems would end, but people ignorant about firearms don't realize there's a whole bunch of rifles, not named AR 15. Don't look like the AR 15 that do the exact same thing. Yes. And there was a lot of politically motivated people who know that they just don't say it. Crockpot. Yeah. Pressure cooker. Yeah. Boston. Yeah. You're right. I mean, rental truck, New York City. I guess we should get rid of uh, crock pots now or pressure cookers. 
considering what happened at the Boston Marathon. There's just no political agenda to ban pressure cookers. There is a political agenda to ban guns. And I saw another one that was very good, and it said, drunk drivers kill X amount of day uh, people every year. So everybody who drives sober should have to give up their driver's license. Yep. Well, the guy that's the same kind of lot, New York city rented a truck from Lowe's or home Depot and killed all those people by driving into them. And no one said he rented that thing without a background check. Mm -hmm. That thing had a gas tank holds, holds way more gasoline than you need. It's capable of going twice the speed limits in the salt truck. Nobody made those silly kind of accusations, but because we have a political agenda against guns on one side, they'll try to use the emotion to catch us not thinking logically. And that's what they're trying right now. And they'll try it in the next one and the next one and the next one. All right, Ed, we got to take a break. Yes, sir. Let's get to break in. Ed Monk, my guest, last resort firearms training. If you want to talk to him about having your church go through uh, a hardening exercise or your your school that you're the principal at, or uh, I know you're going over to UAPB, we're saying. Yeah, we we do three presentations for any school or church. I'm doing UAPB uh, Thursday afternoon at 2 and a Mm. church near Whitehall at uh, that Thursday evening at 6.30. All right, 870-273-1113 is his number. Daryl will be to you in just a moment. All right, we're down to just a few moments away from Fox News. Coming up in the next hour, folks from Conduit for Action, Brenda and Joe will be with us by phone. We'll talk about the fiscal session. We'll talk about the special election in District 16. we got a lot of things to discuss uh, in the next uh, hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Right now, let's go to Daryl. He's on the phone. Daryl, how are you? Welcome here to Dave Ellswick Show. What you got for us? I got a question for you. I, my, I, I, my wife's teacher. I got her carry license, gun, carry license, all that crap. And I won't let her touch it. She's scared to death of it. She wouldn't even know how. She doesn't even, after even the carry going through the class, she doesn't even know how to, put, how to eject the clip. Well, we're not we're not we're not saying that your wife must carry a gun. You you have to understand that, Daryl. You would have to want to be one of those people. Yeah, but the, my problem is they're giving these carry licenses away like they're candy. It's unreal. And is that causing a problem? Yeah, if you don't even, if you if you get a carry license, you don't even know how to break your gun down and clean it completely all the way down. You don't know how to shoot it. You don't know how to eject a clip. How do you get a carry license? Well, I mean, we've had carry here for over 20 years. Other states have had it longer. Has the way it, the way they're given out, is has it caused a problem? Can, is there a crime wave? Is... And, and and personally, if somebody went into school and she had it with her and she had, and then y'all let them teachers have guns, there's only a certain few that, would even actually shoot like I one teacher said, Hey, you gotta take it away from me, shoot me. Daryl, let let me say it again. This would be people who volunteered to be one of those people with the gun. They'd have to have all the training, some extra training in fact, and they would be the ones that would be able to carry on the campus. We're not just saying somebody who has a concealed carry license gets to carry their firearm into the school. That's the way this is set up. I I can give you several instances where civilians have used a gun and stopped active shooters. 
There's not one incident that I know Pearl, of. Mississippi is a good uh, one. Pearl, Mississippi, Fitzgerald Hospital, New Life Church. Uh, the the Tex- Unfortunately, he, he was too far away. He got there too late, but the guy down in Texas at the church yep. with the rifle. But there's not one incident, not one. That's zero. There's not one incident where a citizen with a, a firearm made a mistake, shot the wrong person, got their gun taken away. It, it's never happened. So it, there doesn't there doesn't seem to be a training issue. There's just a legal problem of the law artificially saying we're going to declare this area a place where you cannot defend yourself. Where was that? Where was it in the mall when the guy opened fire in the mall and somebody was a concealed carrier uh, in Salt Lake City? There was an off duty cop. Okay, uh, and then and in, we had the one up in the mall of uh, up there in Minnesota. Uh, a guy had uh, two knives and again an off duty part time cop. Yes. But there's been, again, many instances where civilians, uh, citizens, had guns in places, in, in a few places where they shouldn't have. The the principal at Pearl High School should not have had a gun legally. The doctor in Fitzgerald, Mercy Fitzgerald Hospital in Pennsylvania uh, had a license to carry, but the hospital policy prohibited from carrying a gun. But he did, and both the police chief and the prosecutor said, thank God he did because he saved lives. The guy in Pearl, Mississippi, ran to his truck yes. and got his firearm ran back and as soon as he walked up with his gun the kid in this case dropped the firearm and got down on the ground had he been wearing the gun instead of having to run to the parking lot to get it instead of instead of the number of people that the guy shot it might probably been a lot smaller you know i mean they just went through this at trump's news conference today uh they asked sarah uh today about uh teachers carrying and she says we're not saying that every teacher in every school is supposed to carry a firearm we have never said that you know and the lefties in the press have used that as a false narrative yeah the the argument makes perfect sense mathematically so you can't fight that so you redefine the argument as something else we should have enough teachers armed there to stop it so you're saying we got to give every we're going to mandate every no that's not what we said they have to redefine it so that it is ridiculous instead of trying to debate what they can't debate which is something that's mathematically logical again i'll say you know what if we could for no initial charge get 10 armed cops in the school great okay what if we get 10 of our teachers armed absolutely not what's the difference what if we train those teachers we we require them to meet the same standard that a police officer carrying a gun has absolutely not so it's illogical it's just a knee-jerk reaction if you have a badge the gun's good if you don't have a badge the gun's bad now this whole thing shows that and nothing against you who are law enforcement officers all right but just having a law enforcement officer there does not guarantee they will do what they're supposed to do which is protect and serve The sky at Parkland did not protect or serve, just so you know. I can give you a long list where great cops did their job and saved lives, but unfortunately I can also give you a list where they didn't. Yeah, and we could give you a a really, really long list of people who have used firearms in a respectful and legal way and have stopped killings uh, much more so than the people who have gone in and done mass shootings. It's not the gun, folks. It's the people behind the gun, just the way it is. Ed, always a pleasure. Last Resort Firearms Training, 870-273-1113. He'll come out and treat uh, and train your folks. You just got to give him 
the call. Don't forget, coming up in the next hour, uh, Brenda and uh, Joe will be here from Conduit for Action. We'll talk about the fiscal session. We'll talk about the special runoff election happening in District 16. And I've heard uh, coming in early on Wednesday is uh, Jan Morgan, and I'm going to do a pre-record with her, and you'll hear it at 3 o'clock on Wednesday. With that said, Ed, thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. Always a pleasure coming on. All right. We'll take a break. Fox News. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as a and attendant. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year. And we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. Into the four o'clock hour and uh, our folks from Conduit for Action with us today. And we're going to talk about what's been happening uh, with the fiscal session as well as the uh, runoff election that's happening in District 16 that's over by Russellville. We'll talk about both those subjects and whatever subjects happen to pop up uh, in our minds as we go along. But there's a lot of things to talk about as far as the fiscal session. I have not been as close to it as I normally have been with going to CPAC this last week. So I wasn't there for um, most of the beginning. Uh, We were coming back Saturday on uh, the late flight coming in from Dallas to Little Rock and uh, Alan Clark joined us on that flight. We said some pleasantries between us and he was moving towards uh, the back to sit down and, and make that uh, easy flight. But uh, interesting to see Alan there at that time, but Brenda's here, Joe's here, and uh, we want to welcome him to the show. Conduit for action.com conduit for action. That's where you can find all of the information you need from a, a conservative perspective about what is happening here in the state. Guys, how you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing good, guys and gals, I should say. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to uh, leave I you out of it. I don't notice when I'm called a guy. I've been around so long. Okay. No, so haven't, you, we, haven't we moved past those labels, Dave? I would hope so. But, you know, uh, I was at CPAC, and you should have seen all the political correctness I saw. It uh, drove me crazy Going, what was going on there. Let's talk about Seriously? the— Seriously? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I— my one of my last guests was a great guest talking about you know the poison of political correctness. Actually, they're talking about it, and they were pointing out some different things that had happened at uh, at CPAC. I thought was interesting. A lot, a lot more women speaking. Uh, now I didn't see any of them with tags on saying hashtag Me Too. All right, they didn't have <laughs> it. hadn't gone that far yet. Let's just put it that way. So you guys tell me the, the fiscal session, since I've, I've been kind of out of the, the park as far as, uh, local state issues and more into national issues the last few days, what's been happening as far as, uh, the special session goes. 
I would sum it up with a, a saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, think that this fiscal session is a lot like the others, except that the, the fireworks haven't started yet. You know, we can kind of go back through the history of Medicaid expansion and how that has dominated the fiscal sessions since 2014. And we could talk about that if you like. But, um, you know, since the um, administration is in charge of the numbers, it becomes very hard to have a conversation because once you focus on one set of numbers, suddenly there's, they pull out another set and, and yours have no more meaning. So uh, uh, I think that where they are with the vote on the funding for the uh, DHS is probably waiting to see when they think they have the votes to pass the Medicaid expansion piece. Has it, did it, and, and that goes to the elections that they're uh, manipulating as best they can. Yeah, and then you've got this whole thing with the pharmacies or whatever, and they want a special session. Why is it that they want a special session? Why can't they deal with this in the normal session? I mean, we're going to spend fifty, sixty thousand, maybe seventy thousand dollars on a special session that I don't see why we have to do it. Well, it's pretty simple why we have to do it in a special session, because we don't have the votes to get what the administration wants on the pharmacy bill in the fiscal session the next two weeks. Okay, so they need these new people who have been running and getting elected or are trying to get elected. They think that they'll this will help them with the necessary votes that they, they need. Is that what you're saying, Brenda? Well, what they're going to say is, I'm not going to vote to fund Medicaid expansion unless you change this or pass this pharmacy bill. And uh, so, you know, they don't want any bargaining tool for uh, passing the Medicaid expansion funding piece. And when someone has a bargaining tool, you know, they're not going to vote for Medicaid expansion. So they want to, I would think the administration wants a clean slate vote on that. You know, let's get the Medicaid expansion funded first. And then we'll go talk about what you want. Hmm. All right. So they're kind of holding this over some people's heads is what you're saying. Well, that's what they do. Uh, I've got a prediction at the end of this fiscal session that we will have spent every dime we've collected (laughs) and that the only rainy day type money is going to be at the sole discretion of the governor. Okay, in that's that, my prediction. In that, in the slush fund that was created for the uh, the gift money, right? Well, that's all. They throw everything they can into it. All right, all right. So, evidently, everybody's kind of hold. What you're telling me is everybody's kind of holding their po- uh, powder. Uh, unlike, and Brenda, we can talk about this, and Joe, we can talk about it about what happened back in in 2014 when all of this was starting, and the Republicans were saying. We're going to have Medicaid expansion on Republican terms, which I I kept asking the question, if the Obama administration and the federal government is running this and they're setting all the rules, how can you have a Republican response in Arkansas uh, that's going to change anything when they're not going to let you change anything? And nobody would answer that question. Well, Dave, I can explain that. Go ahead. Well, if if you... If you rightly recognize that the big government people are both R's and D's, and they just the, each side just uses different language to grow government. Let's say that the the more liberal side would say, you know, people have a right to health care, and then the more conservative side will be, 
you know, we're going to save money in the long run uh, if we just manage it the way we are, because we're smart and we can manage things responsibly. But they both end up in the same place. Larger government, more money going through it, and that they have control over or, or benefit from. Well, I think John Brummett's right, though. When Republicans grow government, it costs more because they have to do it with different labels. Yeah, they just use different language to, to achieve the same result as the way I've understood it since I've been involved. And it's a shame because they don't really believe, the leadership does not really believe in the things that they use to get elected. That's just a way to get past an election. Well, when the Arkansas government came up with a great brainstorm idea, let's pay, let's let the state of Arkansas buy private insurance on every enrollee and we'll get a commission uh, and we'll be using private business and we can't get any of private businesses, you know, private info on how they do their contracts, uh, but, you know, we'll guarantee them a 20% profit and all of these different guarantees uh, that are, you know, partly private, partly public, because, you know, a private company hardly would guarantee a 20% profit, but whatever. And when you make sure you have all these bells and whistles to call it a private Republican conservative piece, you've spent 570-something dollars a month per enrollee when it would have cost 250 300 a month if it was fee-for-service. You tell me if that is, uh, you know, a conservative move. Well, no, it wasn't, and that was the point that I kept trying to make out. The other question that I kept asking them in 14 was, you know, you guys get in and you say you're going to do this, quote, the Republican way, but you're still going to put people on a government program. What are you going to tell those people if the uh, the Republicans nationally kill Obamacare and suddenly you can't guarantee them? Uh, coverage any longer you know you realize that this makes you the bad guy in the whole equation and they couldn't give us an answer on that it was as if they were completely blind to it i would listen to them talk it was yeah 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 blah 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 and nobody was paying any attention or if they were paying attention and thought they had something on under their sleeve it was pretty evident from listening to them that there was no way they were going to be able to to, to to win in the end. I mean, it was the same thing when they were talking about they were going to have work requirements in 2014. And I kept saying, will the Obama administration let you do that? And they look at me like a deer in headlights. Well, it's all about rhetoric for staying elected. That's that's really what it is and, and benefiting from a career in government. Well, we know that 2014 showed that the rhetoric didn't work and they elected people who said they would end it. They would end Medicaid expansion. That's why we have so many Republicans in the uh, Capitol in Little Rock right now. And, uh, you know, thank you to uh, progressive leadership, it didn't end it. Yeah, they really put the pressure on the people once they got there. The, the, the citizens that mostly understood what the Medicaid expansion was voted against it with their representatives. Their representatives, in many cases, went down there and had to fight their own leadership and be ostracized because they wouldn't get on the program to go back to their constituents and feed them the talking points that anybody with common sense, if they paid attention for very long, would know was a big scam. Well, yeah, I mean, people like Donnie Copeland and others, 
uh, that, that stood against them about this uh, were lambasted. And, uh, and in many cases, uh, people just quit uh, even talking to them uh, because they wanted not to have this Medicaid expansion even begin because they knew that the, 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 I guess the amount of money they were saying that they were going to save using quote, the conservative way was going to cost a lot of money. And a lot of the things they were saying they were going to bring to the state, it was not going to happen because the Democrats were in power in Washington. They weren't going to say, sure, do that. We don't care when it went against everything that they believe. Well, you know, in addition to that, not only has there been more people put on dependency and a lot of money came to the state for campaign coffers, but in the case like Donnie Copeland, uh, the establishment went out of its way to make sure that people that recognized the problem were not reelected or that were uh, had an opponent, which kind of brings us to the Russellville uh, election next week or two weeks from now. Yeah, let's let's cr- dynamic let, there. Let, yeah, let's cross that that bridge right now because you got a man, a guy who's running, who's adamantly opposed or says that he is. I won't say for sure that he is until if he gets elected, we see him start voting that way. And then you got exactly. a, you got a woman that says that she, uh, is adamantly seems like to me is already in the bag for the governor. Well, I mean, I just got, uh, I was just text on my phone as we're talking, uh, one of her recent mailers that probably just came out today, if I were to guess, and, and she wants to be elected because she's politically connected. She has a nice picture of Tom Cotton. It's, it's uh, implying that he's endorsing her campaign. He said that she works, worked really hard in his campaign, and he's sure that she would bring the same work ethic to the Senate district if elected. And she you know, talks about how uh, she's all for lowering taxes and less spending and improving education through choice, but she says she would have voted against the school choice bill. I mean, you know, you've got to look at these people and who they are and really what they're about more closely. You might believe she's for lower spending uh, until you know that she's an ASA, um, you know, chosen candidate. So the question, you've got to look what, at one of the motivations. Uh, Bob Bailey has no political aspirations. He didn't even want to run for Senate. Brianne, on the other hand, wants to be governor of the state of Arkansas, as far as I can tell, in the future. So you got to look at that as a motivation as well. Yeah, well— you know, with Brianne, you got you have to ask this question. Then, if Tom Cotton is your best friend and is uh, supplying or supporting your candidacy, he probably would uh, think that you're going to vote to get rid of any vestige of Obamacare because Tom Cotton's voted against Obamacare every time it's come up. Wouldn't you expect that that's the way Cotton would think? Well, I mean, he he has told us personally, you know, I think he's done a good job for the state. He's doing a good job for our country. And, you know, he's told us that he might, uh, you know, uh, have conversations and work with people that he might not always agree with on all issues. And maybe, you know, he, he's just he just does that. And, of course, they're from the same area. And I don't know, maybe maybe he's, he, his mother used to babysit her. I don't know. You know, there's always a possibility of those connections. Right. Doesn't sound like an endorsement, but it's it's inferred. And again, I would rather the people uh, in Russellville to vote on the person that they know, rather than the recommendation of somebody they they really don't know. Yeah, I just. Well, I mean, I'm I, I'm just you know she's going to vote for Medicaid expansion. It it 
seems to be very obvious. In fact, I think she said that, hasn't she? She has said that on more than one occasion. Okay, I thought that I had heard that. So uh, the people of Russellville have a distinct choice here. You got a guy who says he's not for it. You got a lady who says, I'll definitely continue to support it. How's it looking there, Joe? You, you've been following this very closely. Well, hey, how, how is it that you can predict these things? You know, I have no idea. But I can tell you that I know what the people want. Now, whether or not the message can be delivered accurately to them so that they can make an informed choice, I'm never sure about that because it takes a lot of time and money to get messages out. Mm-hmm. And the other side has an unlimited amount of money, and they've got the press, and they've got other politicians, and they've got the Chamber of Commerce, and they've got the entire healthcare industry, which, by the way, drives the entire economy in Arkansas, according to uh, the governor. And, and how sad is that, is that healthcare and hot, big hospitals drive the entire economy of a state. Now, I agree with that as well. I'm, there's no reason for that. Well, there is a reason, but it's not one we would. Uh, well, I no, I you understood what I was saying. I mean, I I do understand that they do. We had a nice trip to Russellville and got to visit with the county uh, Republican County Committee there in Russellville. Uh-huh. Joe and I spoke. We wanted them to meet, you know, meet us and we get to ask us questions since they knew that we were supportive of uh, Bob Bailey, and uh, it was quite quite an interesting night. We really had a a nice time, and we got to meet um, three or four strong supporters of Brienne's, even though they weren't members of the committee, they did come come to the meeting and ask all the questions. So that was that was fun. All right, so we, we love going to Republican committee meetings because, by and large, the, the grassroots, you know, the, the committee members that come time after time after time, they appreciate our positions. They expect Republicans to adhere to the platform and what they say. Uh, so they really appreciate the work we're doing. We, we, we get a lot of support there. All right, Brenda and Joe are going to be with us for this hour. We've already knocked 20 minutes out of the way. I thank you both for being, making room for us today. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Let me remind you about Horton's Prosthetics and Orthotics over at 5220 West 12th Street here in Little Rock, where if you're a person who needs an orthotic or a prosthetic, they are ready to help you. A family-owned business, father started it, sons are in it, daughter's in it, And they are guaranteeing to you that they will take care of you, help you reach where you want to reach as far as mobility goes, as far as these prosthetics and orthotic devices uh, go to change your life. For instance, if you're a woman, you've had to have your breast removed because of breast cancer. The folks at Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics can help you to regain that, that, that self-worth that you might have lost because of the removal of your breast. They can help you regain that uh, with what they do. If you're a person that has a prosthetic because you lost uh, a part of a limb, they will go as far as they can with the technology that's available to give you the mobility and the use of a, of a limb uh, that gets you as close to normal as is humanly possible. That's what they do at Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics. 5220 West 12th Street in Little Rock. The phone number there is 
800-209-2908. Your uh, time to give them a call. They do have some satellite offices. They'll tell you exactly where they are when you give them a call. That's Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics. All right, we've got to uh, get to Fox News. That's coming up. I just got a call. Uh, Dan Sullivan will join us tomorrow at 4 o'clock with the power panel here on the day, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show, as well as at 3 o'clock, Ryan Norris from Americans for Prosperity will be here, and we'll cover a whole lot of subjects. Uh, a lot of this is going to be all about uh, the special session, not special session, the fiscal session uh, that's going on right now over at the uh, the Capitol. We might even be able to get over there next week sometime. We'll have to set that up. All right, Fox is next, and then we'll be back with Brenda and Joe from Conduit for Action in just a moment. With you and with me is Conduit for Action, Brenda and Joe uh, joining us here on the show, and good to have them with us today. Just got a uh, text, and you you all may know this already, uh, but came out today at least. Let me just read the text here that I have. It says, Michelle Gray says no to Medicaid expansion unless she gets the uh, pharmacy issue in special session. Looks like governor struck her deal. Uh, so is that is that what you all are seeing? This is just the horse trading that goes on to make sure that uh, the governor gets exactly what he wants? Well, Mich- Michelle said uh, last week that she was not going to, you know, vote for the funding of the Medicaid expansion unless the pharmacy bill, you know, got, got a positive, had a positive outcome. Okay. And that's right after that, you know, you got the thing about the special session. And so she was uh, at a rally, I think it was Friday, maybe Thursday, I've lost track of time like you have. But, uh, you know, she said she looked the governor in the eye and that he promised her that he would do this in a special session and that she, she you know, trusted her governor. And so go back to what we said in the first 30 minutes that, you know, some of this stuff is uh, done for, um, you know, the staging of it. And uh, whether Michelle was doing that for um, the drama, I don't know. But, you know, we'll see what kind of bill comes out of the special session for the pharmacists. I certainly hope that it's not the kind we've seen in the past where Jim Hendren sponsors the bill and it's the conservative, it ends it type that, puts the pharmacy, local pharmacists in no better position than they were in before, except they have the government now regulating them rather than those who handle their contracts. But let me tell you one more thing about the fiscal session and are we likely to get a Medicaid expansion vote. Okay. I think there's no way it will be considered until after Thursday noon, the filing period, because some of these people might be hesitant to vote for that funding if they still have the likelihood of getting a, a you know, a, an opponent in their primary. Mm. Makes so sense. after that threat is over, then uh, more will be more at ease at voting for that funding. That make that makes a lot of sense, Brent. It really, really does. Well, we've been watching this for five years, and that's you know exactly how they operate. Well, of course they uh, they're looking for a way to CYA, Joe. You know, <laughs> you know how it would all work. Well, what what happened to principles? A man has it given given way to pragmatism? There's never, there's never been politicians principle. have never lived by principle. I found that out a long time ago. 
Well, they sure claim to have them in, when they're running for office, don't they? What was it Bart said? Or asking for money. I mean, yeah, Bart Hester's sitting there talking about, you know, we tell our constituents that when we're running for office that it, it's not, we don't promise them sometimes and maybe and if that, we tell them we will and we won't. Which, yeah. of course, you know, they don't remember saying that they would or they wouldn't because they don't. Well, he's changed. he's changed teams evidently, so... Whatever he told him before, he's gone back and decided to leave the National League and join the American League. You know what I'm saying? You know, one thing we don't want to forget, which I may have mentioned last time, I, I do forget what I talk about sometimes, but in this fiscal session, there'll be the election of the leadership for the Senate. And so we've got, uh, speaking of BART, we have the Jim Hendren, and the BART Hester, and I'm not sure who's running for whip. I forget on that team. And then you have Jimmy Hickey, Terry Rice, and Scott Flippo for the opponent. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out uh, as well. And just this special election, you know, there's the possibility that if there's just one person that files for Jake Files' position, Senate District 8, that that person, if, if there's only one candidate and, and, he, and that candidate is unopposed, then we're looking at a new senator come Monday morning. Yeah, that's true. So... Tell me now, Hendren is saying he wants to be pro tem. Of course he does. He wants to be president of the United States. I imagine. <laughs> I know he wants to be a general. <laughs> yeah, he's a fighter pilot. Did, did, did I mention that? Yes, I know he is. I've heard that many, many times uh, during the times that have, that he's uh, come by my uh, my place there in the in the Capitol, and that's like pulling teeth, but. I, I guess uh, I didn't know, I had not heard that he was looking to be uh, the uh, Senate pro tem. Well, that's just the start of it, Dave. <laughs> he's looking to be governor in a few years. Yeah, well, he's he's going to have some pretty stiff challengers. You got to say that, but anyway, that that's down the road. Running? What? <laughs> I might. Well, I don't know. I might run, but then I'd have to sell my soul to get the money, and I won't do that. Well, count me in for $5. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Joe, very, very much. Uh, remember, you can write that off on your taxes, okay? That's right, 50. Make it 50. <laughs> <laughs> all, 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 all citizens can give 50 and, yeah. and take it right off their top of their taxes. That's right, absolutely. So when you look at District 16, uh, was the guy that's running there, I'm trying to think of his last name, Bailey, is that his last name? Okay, Bob Bailey. Was he the one that put out the picture of him sitting behind his desk with all the, with the gun held up in his in his hand and stuff, or was that some of the people who were running against him? Yeah, I, I the, the gun, him holding the gun in his hand sideways. I, I saw that over the weekend that someone created a Facebook profile like it's his. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly the opponent, you know. Okay, so uh, producing that kind of thing. But now Bob is a gunsmith, and he has I know a gunsmith business. That's his small business. And we have been inside his business, and the, when he's sitting in his desk and behind him are all those guns, that's part of his gun inventory and part of what he has crafted himself by hand. He's quite an oh. artist. It's, it's amazing. I mean, his store is, oh, my word, it is worth going to. And just anyone who appreciates nice craftsmanship, that's, that's something to behold. Well, well I need, I need to get over and check it out. Because he's never aspired to run for office still doesn't i mean that's not his goal which is totally the opposite of his opponent in the race that's 
you know, her only goal is to succeed in politics and be uh, a lifetime, you know, uh, a uh, career politician. One thing she did say the other night at this meeting where we attended at Russellville is that she she does she wants uh, longer terms. She thinks that leg- of course, yeah, legislators need longer terms, not shorter terms. Yeah, because they don't know how to file a bill, they don't know how to write a bill. Well, that's why you got legislative affairs right there in the Capitol to do all that work for you. Well, they shouldn't be allowed to file a bill until they're there for one term. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And then leave. Yeah, then leave. You want to bang, you know, sometimes bill, I want to bang my head against the wall when I hear stuff like that. Because, well, at least I'll give her credit. I guess she's being honest that she's so stupid she can't file a bill. Yeah, well, you know, she's the one that said that when a question from her own side, and so she volunteered that she... She wanted longer terms, and of course, Bob Bailey said he believed that two terms were plenty. I would think so. <laughs> right. If they want something done, they just need to make the system simpler. Uh, one of the one of the uh, arguments they make is that the lobbyists are too influential if you're only there for one term because they they have all this inside knowledge. Well, best I can tell, lobbyists never push the voting button ever. Mm. Yeah, it's that's just because you can't tell. So if you don't, yeah, so if you don't know about a bill, then you vote no. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, Joe. I, some of the things that you hear come out of the lips of babes is amazingly naive. You, you would hope that they're not that naive that they think that, you know, they got to have all this extra time and everything to learn to do a bill. You got all the help in the world to put your bills together. That's the the man who works with you all uh, did that work for him for years and years and years over at the Capitol. I haven't met many legislators that would be smart enough to write a bill ever. <laughs> well, something you missed while you were gone, and I can't wait to hear your, your take on it, is that Brian King decided to stay in the fight. Oh, that's and, uh, good. Speaking of somebody who doesn't always show up to vote, which I'm sure that'll be part of his opponent's uh, why you should vote for Bob Ballinger, but I liked it that Brian King, you know, might not show up for every vote. He certainly showed up when it counted. Hey, when you're taking care of pigs or chickens, pardon me, when you're taking care of chickens, you got to get them ready to be uh, taken to the to the store, so to speak, uh, certain times. And you can't be uh, at the legislature all the time. I don't have any problem with that at all. Well, most people don't really understand that not showing up to vote is the same as a no vote. Right. And most of the things they do down there should be a no vote. So save the taxpayers the per diem to go down there and vote no. Well, That's, it's, that, that would be my recommendation to all of them. It takes a yes vote to pass something. And, right. and a no or a present vote don't push a bill forward. So uh, not everyone understands it's effectively the same. But, of course, to the legislators... And their position when they tell you what they did, a no and a present is nowhere near the same. All right. So why 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 did he uh, change his uh, you know his mind about running? Because he had been on my show and was adamant that he wasn't going to run any longer. That he needed more time on the farm. We talked to Bob and heard him on the air. Heard him talk to a lot of people about uh, you know the months when he was hesitant, finally saying he wasn't going to run, and it was a family issue. Right. I mean, excuse me, Brian not going to run. Um, he said family, his brother had been working the farm alone, and he he was obligated to return and, and help it. 
but I think that they have worked something out from what he said, and Good. some of the family issues have resolved, and, and things have opened up just here all of a sudden, and, well, and for, it's working. For a working person that has a, a job or has a small business, it is truly a sacrifice yes, it is. to serve in the legislature. For others, it's a career choice, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what you have in play in this district. I mean, you saw the article that came out in the last couple of days about the expenditures and who's, who's cost the state the most money spending most of their time in Little Rock, and Trent Garner won the state prize, uh, the Senate prize. And so he's traveling from El Dorado, and uh, Lance Eads came in number two. And, you know, Lance certainly stays under the radar. You don't hear much about him. You know, that's where you go down there and soak every time you can to punch your ticket down there, whether you're involved or not, and you're making the maximum per diems. Uh, that the taxpayers have to fund, and and they don't like that stuff published. You know, Trent Garner's an attorney. He he told the people in the Senate when they were trying to pass the Medicaid disclosure bill and saying if you're a lawyer, you can't represent your clients. And Trent w- said he didn't practice law anyhow, so it didn't matter. And then he turned around to me and said, wait, I can't make a living practicing law if I pass this bill. Oh, that's confusing. Yeah, that is confusing. Absolutely is confusing. Well, that, what district is that for Bob and uh, for Brian? That uh, I think four? it's five, but I'm not sure. I'm, I think we're going to have a, yeah, it's five. Okay. It's district five. That's, so that's, uh, that's going to be a fun race to watch then. Oh, yeah, wow. Uh, Berryville and, and Green uh, Forest. No, I think Green Forest cut out of it. But, oh, really? Uh, Eureka Springs, perhaps. Yes. The San Francisco of the Midwest. <laughs> they make San Francisco look conservative at times. Now, now. <laughs> well, they don't have a conservative choice, you know. I no, would, they uh, sure don't. They absolutely <laughs> do not have a, a conservative choice there. Stick around, y'all. We got to finish up the uh, uh, the hour. I got to take a break. Let's get that in, and we'll we'll finish it up when I come back. Don't forget about Safari Pets, eight hundred eight West Main and Cabot. Their number is five zero one six two eight double zero sixty seven. Safari dash pet dot com on the web largest independent pet store in Arkansas. They've built themselves into that since 2001 when they opened just a small area in a, in basically a strip mall. And then basically all the other stores started going other places and they just took over all of those spaces. And now whenever you need something for your pet or pets, you go to Safari Pets because they got it all. And I'll tell you one thing they got that the big box stores don't have. And that is they've got people that are on the floor that can answer all your questions. You know, how hot should be your, uh, you know, uh, terrarium. They can tell you don't use a hot rock, use uh, you know, a light because that's better for your bearded lizard uh, that you have. Or if you want to have a, a spider or you want to have a, you know, a scorpion, whatever it is you want. If you need crickets to feed your pets, they've got, all of that at Safari Pets. And don't forget, coming up on April 14th, it's their big annual anniversary sale. And believe me, it is big, big, big with lots and lots and lots of sales and discounts. You won't want to miss it. So circle your calendar now and be ready to head over for the big annual anniversary sale on April 14th. That's Safari Pets, 808 West Main. In Cabot. Our guests this hour have been Brendan Joe from over at uh, Conduit for Action. Always uh, a pleasure to have them on the show. They bring you a decidedly conservative view of what's happening in state uh, politics. 
So you all tell me, what are we expecting from this week? Uh, you, I think, Brenda, you said that you didn't feel like anything was going to move forward or sideways, up or down until maybe Thursday. I think it'll be after Thursday, everybody will go home, you know, and then they'll come back Monday knowing what they're going to do because the filing period will be over. Everyone will know if they have an opponent in the primary. Okay. All right. Hey, Dave, I wanted to talk about something uh, that you might be interested in. Uh, we have had an increased success since being on with you. Uh, the Conduit News is on in the morning, as you've mentioned several times, and then uh, Brenda and I being on with you every Monday, we really appreciate the uh, the response from business in the Little Rock market has been outstanding. Good. Our, our Facebook uh, support is, has gone way up. And you know more people are getting on board with us in the in the business community for being on and and, and your your help. Well, that's good. I'm glad how much we appreciate. Well, that. I'm glad to hear that because you know they, they should hear uh, the full story and not just part of the story. And I was glad to be able to bring on Paul here, Paul Paul Harrell. I talked to Paul this morning. We were discussing things as I was driving down 67, 167, probably not the best piece of road to be carrying on a conversation on, but still. You know, it was, it was fun talking to Paul, and it's always uh, uh, fun and interesting to talk to you all because you've got your sources, we all got our sources, and we can kind of compare notes. Well, I can't wait to see you on video. I know you, you can be seen now, not just heard, correct? Yeah, you go to, just go to uh, Facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show, and we're on right now. Hey, what, uh, that, what I said was not to say that we couldn't use some more advertisers. So, no, you know, no, you like to support our our show uh, in the morning. Have them call us. Always can handle more advertising. No problem with that at all. But I, and, and I would say that's during prime time. I mean, we're talking six a to eight a, and that's the perfect time to be advertising uh, to the clientele that you're trying to reach. So. Brenda, you got any new articles appearing on uh, Conduit for Action that people should be reading? We do. We we did announce in our uh, article posted, I believe it was yesterday, about the uh, Brian King, Bob Ballinger um, primary. So it give people a little bit of insight there. Well, it should be a. It, that's gonna. I just tell you, that's going to be a a competitive race to say the least. It'll be a fun race, and it'll, it'll reveal a lot. Uh, Char- Representative Charlotte Douglas was on Paul's show this morning, and the endorsement that she gave Brian King as a result of his bill he filed the other day to change Medicaid expansion to a fee-for-service uh, plan was amazing, and I think that every legislator needs to listen to that because it's an indictment of them all. All right. Well, go along, get along, crowd. Well, uh, there's a lot of that that, that goes on. I I, I'm sure that you all saw that Tim Lemon has decided not to seek uh, re-election. I haven't heard. He's my state rep. I've lost my state rep. I've lost my state uh, senator, basically. New state senator coming in with Hill. But uh, I got to tell you, it, there's some changes shaking out here in the state. I'll be interested to see who wants to uh, appear as a state representative. That that should happen here in time. Hopper. Give it a try. Yeah, I wish you would. I'll be honest with you, R.D. be a great, great state representative. Uh, he'll be in tomorrow. Maybe I'll bend his ear a little bit. How's that? Uh, that'd be great. I can make that happen. I appreciate y'all. We'll get back together next Monday. 
Uh, we'll be getting a hold of you because we want some really great pictures of both of you so that we can put your picture up when when I'm talking to you on the telephone. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. All right. We'll see you all later. That's Joe. That's uh, uh, Brenda, of course, from Conduit Fraction. We've got uh, Fox coming up next. We've got Fox News bringing you five minutes of news, catch you up with the world. Then Robert Steinbach. Who's a law professor over at UALR and uh, the Bowen School of Law will join us. Free speech. When I was at CPAC, it was one of the main topics that was going on there was what's going on on our college campuses. We're going to talk. We'll talk about that when we get back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit commonly referred referred to as aid and attendant. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year. And we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T, lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. We are into the final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show as uh, we wrap up a Monday edition. Tomorrow is going to be a lot of fun. Already uh, Ryan Norris from Americans for Prosperity. Uh, We're going to have uh, State Representative Dan Sullivan on tomorrow. And, uh, of course, uh, the power panel will be in and the Bible guys at five. So, we're filling up fast, a lot of good information to get to, and a lot of good information to get to in this final hour as Robert Steinbach joins us. And, uh, Robert, how you doing today, my man? Has your Monday been a good one? It's been a busy one, that's for sure. What about you? Welcome back from uh, CPAC. Oh, man. I heard heard some of your fantastic interviews. No, we really had a lot. Great guests and great, and great work. Well, we did, you know, our typical, on, on the show, we, we like doing... Uh, our interviews, of course, for everybody sure. live. But uh, we started at work uh, early in the morning and went to about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. In fact, one day up to about one forty-five before going on the air at 2. And uh, we gathered up a total of 36 interviews while we were there. I read that on your uh, Twitter uh, feed uh, that uh, you guys are going to be playing those over the next you know period of time, be it a week or whatever. Absolutely, That's wonderful. Yeah, there's, that's wonderful. They, folks here uh, got to listen to Ambassador John Bolton today about China and uh, about uh, North Korea. We talked about infrastructure today. We talked about uh, well, we had the AG on talking about sanctuary cities because we ran into her while we were there in uh, at CPAC as she was speaking after the president about it. So it was it was a really it's been a good show today. And then I have you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm. Exactly. Let me, well, let me know, just, someone's got to be clean up, right? <laughs> Robert, let me just tell you something. Yes, the, the two main topics that everybody yes, wanted to talk, well, three, the three main topics, one, guns, because of, of what happened in Parkland, Florida. Two, right. number two, free speech. And number three, infrastructure. I had uh, campus reform. I had uh, 
Cab- Cabot Phillips on, uh, who is the guy behind getting all of their student journalists uh, set up. He was on with me. Right. And then we had a young lady on who was a student at Harvard and was very, very outspoken about what was going on on the campuses of our colleges. It, it It's worse than what you think it is. It's just worse. Right. We talk about and think we've got the worst. We we haven't scratched the surface, bro. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Listen, I live on a campus, not literally, but I work on a campus, and I'm familiar with one small part of it. And most of the time when we talk on this show about what's going on across this country, across the campuses, uh, it's it's a shock. Each time a new event occurs, it's a shock because you don't think it can get any worse across the United States in terms of attacks on free speech, attacks on uh, free thinking and free expression, uh, and then it happens again. So, uh, unfortunately, when people say, can you believe it, I've gotten to the point of saying, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, well, here's the key. We can all tell. We can tell them this is a worry everybody even more so and i don't mean to worry people i just try to tell them the truth it's worse than what we thought talk to the students that's what is shocking when you talk to the students this harvard student what was her name uh uh russ the the young lady that we talked to you remember what her name is off the top of your head emily hall that was her, emily hall that's right very good nice recall emily hall <laughs> That we uh, talked to. Of us, Dave, at least Russ is paying attention. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. But Emily Hall <laughs> was on with us, uh, and she is a reporter for uh, Campus Reform, and mm-hmm. sat and talked with us and said she started a Republican uh, group there on Harvard, and mm-hmm. no, and except for the few students that were part of that group, nobody else would talk to her from that point on. Yeah, well, of course, of course. Because they have branded uh, Republicans as evil, not someone who happens to disagree. They branded them as evil. It's really cruel. Yeah, it's really, really scary, to be honest with you. It really Uh, bothers me. uh, Indeed, indeed. Because, look, this is the problem that you and I have talked about on your show. It's got to be for years now, which is the idea of education and higher education in particular, meaning college and beyond, is to force students to think, not to become robots, not to memorize stuff, uh, not to just be widgets, but to think. And how does one think? By being presented with controversial and different ideas, not the same ideas that they already agree with, Ideas that challenge their thinking. By the way, some ideas that ultimately they won't adopt, and some ideas that one could arguably call, quote-unquote, wrong, but nonetheless to be presented with them. Uh, I would certainly encourage, if I were teaching political science, which I studied, I would encourage students to read Karl Marx, the communist founder, essentially, not because I agree with that clap-trap nonsense, but before we can dispute and dispel it, we, not, we need to understand it. And so this is what's the problem today in academia. I'm not saying that that is pervasive, but this move away from controversial ideas to uh, delicate daisies holding their hands and feeding them pablum, that is useless. 
they might as well not go to college if that is what the environment is going to turn out to be. Uh, Emily said she was very uh, articulate, and, and uh, people will hear her uh, interview probably next week. But the bottom line is she was just really, really out front that uh, Harvard was not, which is one of supposedly our premier learning institutions, is not preparing uh, these young students to face real world facts and the facts yeah. of life when they get out of college. I mean, look, they're not, if, if you come to the, the business, uh, costume party, uh, dressed up in a way that, uh, they don't like the boss ain't going to make the person change just because you don't like it. Right. Right. It's not the real world. No. Right? When you get out into the real world, they're going to have a rude awakening, but it's more than that. Just to be clear, I'm not saying, well, there are people that are going to hurt your delicate daisy feelings in the real world. What I'm saying is students need to be not delicate daisies, but to be receptive to ideas that upon first blush, they find uh, difficult. They find challenging. They find controversial and even they find repulsive, not because those ideas are necessarily right or wrong, but because they are all the things that I just listed. That in and of itself is the process of education, in particular, higher education, thinking beyond oneself, thinking outside oneself, thinking beyond one's clan. That's the point. You know, the left often talks about diversity. And the problem with that claim is not that diversity is a bad idea. It's that they're focusing on the wrong diversity. I don't care if your hair is straight or curly, your skin is dark or light. I care if you can offer alternative ideas. So if people look different but say exactly the same thing in their 1984 novel-like world, the the so-called diversity is not useful. What I need and what I want and what I challenge people to present is diversity of ideas, and those unfortunately, are lacking. They're not completely absent, but the breadth of them is lacking in higher education across this country. All right, so let's talk a little bit about craziness on college campuses and businesses. In fact, Emily did go on to say that this has moved straight into high schools in America now. They're, oh, sure. they're starting earlier with it. But the University of Oregon's Men's Center recently shifted its focus from promoting nutrition, wellness, and, you know, getting your body in shape to reconstructing masculinity through an an emphasis on social justice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you gotta, you gotta be a, I guess, a more feminine man. Now you have to, because you can't be a man's man and believe in justice in any way, shape, or form, evidently. Let, let me take that up one level of, of abstraction and tell you what I, I find remarkable these days, right? There's all of this delicate daisy attitude. Be careful. Don't mention race. Don't mention uh, gender. Don't mention national origin. And I hear in public meetings uh, in all different environments, people say, well, that's just an old white guy saying that. 
When did it become permissible to demean someone as a consequence of his race or his gender? And the answer is when the race is white coupled with the gender of male. For some reason, that's the punching bag that is permissible these days. And you know what? That ain't right. You can't just, we've been told by the left, and you know I give the left credit when credit is due. We've talked about how the Berkeley movement for free speech was a leftist movement originally, and every time I'm on your show, I give them credit for that. Well, the left uh, aptly has pointed out, this is historical now, that we shouldn't be judging people based on their race. And of course, that's right. And nowadays, by the way, uh, uh, virtually everyone agrees with that notion, except obviously racists and conservatives are amongst the virtually everyone, notwithstanding some on the left trying to paint them as the opposite. So we agree. We don't judge people based on their race. That is improper. And yet the left is very willing to say, well, that's an old white guy. Wait a second. Why is it appropriate for you to judge someone based on his race when it's coupled with his gender, which he shouldn't be judged on either? And this is really a kind of the hypocrisy of the left that you see. The same type of hypocrisy, incidentally, when you hear the left saying, well, we believe in free speech, but hate speech is not speech. Wait a second. The term you define, hate speech, has the second word is speech, but it's not speech. That's bizarro land as far as I'm concerned. Now, I, I agree. Let me go back to that story because I want to pick it up. Yeah. There were some yeah. things in it that were, were really, really uh, important to talk about. Uh, it's, it's much more important that men, especially cisgender or white men. Now, cisgender means that you're a straight guy. Straight. Right. It means you don't you don't go for other guys, and you're not a guy who thinks he's a girl or whatever. Uh, that they have a better educational understanding of what social justice is, and to get involved. Uh, for t- far too long, men have been absent from this discussion of social equality. Our focus is to use social justice, brainwashing to end male violence, dismantle systems of oppression, and reconstruct what we know them. They're the only ones that understand this. None of us else of us understand it. Uh, We know masculinity to be. Their quote, their words, as you know, none of that would ever pass my lips except reading it out of an article. Sure, sure. Well, and what's interesting about that comment, Dave, is it can be taken two ways, and I will tell you which way I suspect it's being meant, which is not the good way. One way could be saying, hey, listen, let's have a conversation. Let's bring everybody involved, and we think some people have not been involved, so we're inviting them in. Please come over. That's a welcoming idea. I'm all for that. I suspect, now I say suspect, meaning I will give them the benefit of the doubt to rebut this, but I suspect they're not saying that. I suspect what they're saying is much like I was suggesting to you a moment ago, that that uh, white men are somehow innately inferior, so come to us and we will re-educate you. That's what I fear they're saying. I won't confirm that because I need to hear more, but that's what I fear they're saying. Wow. Yeah. It, I don't know how to go about 
about all this stuff. I mean, how about this one? This is from uh, Carleton College, which I think is in Texas, recently put on their third annual production of Stripped, an all-gender monologue series created as an alternative to the vagina monologues. Stripped was created in response to a student's frustration with the transphobic nature of the original play, which the student said claims to be about celebrating vaginas, but then a lot of trans people are excluded. What do you What do you make of that kind of crazy stuff? Dave, Dave I, I don't know how to unpack that suitcase is my answer to that question. Okay? Uh, can, can I leave it at that? For a guy okay. that you have on your show every week who rarely has nothing to say, I perhaps on this one question don't have much to say. All right. We'll come back. We'll talk more. Robert Steinbach. Hey, I'm not make. I don't make this stuff up. I know. It. I just I report it. it. Okay. I know it. Dave Ellswick show here on 96.5 FM. The answer. Okay. So Robert uh, Steinbach is our guest. He is a legal professor at uh, the Bowen School of Law. Uh, his uh, thoughts and his opinions are his and his alone do not necessarily reflect that of Bowen School of Law or uh, the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Okay, so before we go to break, which comes up in about two and a half minutes, check this okay. out from Purdue University, their online writing lab, which offers a handout titled Stereotypes and Biased Language, which was updated just last week. It encourages a student, you're not going to believe all I'm going to read to you, Oh, I'm going to believe it. That's yeah, the scary don't part. don't avoid you to avoid using language that is stereotypical or biased in any way. Mm-hmm. Adding adding that biased language frequently occurs based on gender, but can also offend groups of people based on sexual orientation, uh, their ethnic background, political interest, or race. Writing in a non-sexist, non-biased way is both ethically sound. And effective. Now, if you're in business and you write letters to people, you might want to listen to this because this is what's coming down the pike, I bet you. Non-sexist writing is necessary for most audiences. How about examples of generic use of non-sexist language? Noting that although man, in its original sense, carried the dual meaning of adult uh, human and adult male, its meaning has come to be so closely identified with adult males that the generic use of man, in other words, with masculine markers, should be avoided. Hence, instead of writing mankind, now you should write humanity, people, or human beings. Man-made should be changed to synthetic, manufactured, or machine-made. The primer then explains that students should be careful in the way they describe occupations. It shouldn't be a male man, but a male carrier, and it shouldn't be a congressman because I thought they'd say congresswoman, but no, no, they go, they do better. A congressional representative. Oh my goodness. All right. And, uh, how do, how do they get away with manufacture? I don't know, buddy. Uh-oh. Don't ask me. This is the left talking. It uh, by the way, Dave, be careful with mail carrier. It's letter carrier because even though it's M A I L, I don't know. It sounds a lot like M A L E. Let's call it a letter. All right, let's go to Fox News. I've got more stuff to talk about. I would say it's insane, but people actually think it's sanity that to, to, to go this way. We'll talk more about it after Fox.
You know, everything uh, you know about claiming your Social Security benefits may not be right because they've been turned upside down. The government changes them every year. New rules for claiming your benefits go into effect, and then your decisions could end up costing you tens of thousands of dollars in uh, lifetime benefits that really are rightfully yours. I mean, your decision could end up uh, costing you money in higher taxes and increased Medicare premiums. Get the facts in the updated 2018 Guide to Social Security from uh, uh, David Lucas and attend one of his uh, great uh, teaching seminars that he does. Uh, The next seminar is March 29th and uh, 30th, uh, $18 to attend. He's already done 17 last year of these exact same educational Social Security workshops this uh, last year. And they all sold out because of his expertise. This is not selling anything. Again, this is an edu- an educational social security workshop. Uh, the workshops uh, give you all the information you need to make smart, intelligent, well-informed decisions about how you're going to claim your social security benefits. Registration is 18 bucks, includes a 34-page maximizing social security workbook and this way you shouldn't get cheated out of any of your money that you got coming call 501-653-6690 to secure your seat march 29th or march 30th at 501-653-6690 or visit davidlucasfinancial.com all right robert steinbach our guest he is a legal professor over at uh, the Bowen School of Law at the University of of uh, Arkansas at Little Rock. And his opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily and probably will never reflect those of the university or the Bowen School of Law. Is there anything else you wanted to say about that story I was reading about the use of language? Because this is really, when you look at that particular story, that's how you end up having to write business letters that are bizarre because they're supposed to be in some way uh, not offending anybody. And let's step back a second because it's perfectly appropriate to tell students and others, don't write things that are rude uh, to other people, if you're trying to elicit them as customers, meaning it's not a debate, it's not a discussion where you want to freely share your views, you're trying to uh, elicit customers, you're trying to sidle up to them. Uh, equally, uh, you can instruct them that you shouldn't use certain terms that uh, are considered uh, um, not appropriate in today's day, right? We, uh, we know, you know, that NAACP has a letter in there for African-Americans that we no longer use as a common term, and nor should we. So you wouldn't use that term in a polite conversation. You could refer to the term, but you wouldn't use that in polite conversation. So it's perfectly appropriate to instruct uh, people uh, preferred ways, uh, in, particularly in business contexts, uh, to to, uh, uh, to reference uh, different issues and items. That is, first of all, quite different than 
affirmatively restricting people from speaking. And I'm not saying that this, what you read, is necessarily the latter, but I want to highlight it because across campuses uh, in this country, the latter is taking place where people are being told they can't say something and can't is very different than shouldn't. We need to emphasize that point. Secondly, it's when the notions uh, that are proper go off the rails, or if I may borrow a term, jump the shark, uh, that old (laughs) reference. That is, when you say, yeah, uh, don't call uh, a guy that is, uh, uh, lives out in, a, in the sticks a redneck. That's not appropriate. That's not appropriate. Uh, but guess what? You can call a mailman a mailman, even if the mailman happens to be female. You can also call them a letter carrier. I don't care. But there's nothing inherently wrong with calling a mailman a mailman. And so this is the jumping the shark type of thing that I'm talking about, that when we start to go to these extremes, right, the notion of man is that it reflects human, that man is also interchangeable for human. Uh, And woman is a more specific category. Now, some people don't want to use that. They think it somehow benefits males over females. I don't know how it does, but if they want to have that view, they're free to have that view, and they're free to use whatever vernacular they want to do. And by the way, they're even free to suggest to people to consider the alternative. And, and maybe, just maybe, what you read is simply doing that. But when they go too far and say, this language is inappropriate, what's the next one? Offensive, and then finally, therefore, prohibited, all Mm -hmm. three of those uh, become increasingly more difficult, such that the last one is outright absurd. And that's what we have to start being vigilant against, because we have moved in society to people suggesting, hey, maybe there's a better way to say things. Okay, that's all right. To, you can't say that. And then it's one person barking orders at another person in the context of when we're supposed to be able to have free speech and free expression. And between the two, free speech and free expression shall always prevail. That's why it's the First Amendment. By the way, it's first for a reason. It's first because it's primary. It's because from those, from that one, flows all the others. Yeah. So, you know... uh... It worries me just because those who say this is the way you should do uh, on a college campus get to this is what you must do uh, very often. And and this is not this is not a small campus we're talking about. This is Purdue University, which is one of the better higher uh, learning uh, facilities or, you know, with faculty uh, in the United States and especially in Indiana, Purdue and Indiana. University. Well, indeed, I've seen exactly that happen, to be clear, across campuses across this country, which is where there was language about this is should, uh, saying this, we recommend you should do such and such, and then people uh, are getting sanctioned in one form or the other uh, when they don't follow that suggestion because the suggestion has morphed into a requirement. And that's when we have completely violated the First Amendment. Yeah, I agree. Listen, we'll go ahead and get our last break in. And then when we come back, there are signs of people with commonsensical 
answers to this. And in fact, a piece of legislation in Minnesota, I'm going to get a copy of this because I want to see if I can get somebody here in Arkansas to carry it next year uh, during the general session. I'll bring that up to you when we come back and maybe we can get this Minnesota state Senator to join us next Monday. How would you like to do that, Robert? It's terrific. I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you about what she's doing when we come back. Don't forget about Arrow Plumbing. Arrow Plumbing, they're the ones that can take care of whatever your plumbing need is. That's because they've got master plumbers. They know what they're doing. They're they're there so that they can figure out what the problem is. Secondly, they can take care of the problem themselves. They're able to do the work for you. Thirdly, they've got the technology to do it without inconveniencing you for the most part. I'm not saying that you might not have a problem that you're going to get inconvenienced whether you like it or not. But for the most part, Arrow Plumbing has the technology to burrow under your slab, burrow under your parking lot, burrow under your landscaping, which can cost thousands of dollars, and take care of fixing something underground without having to disturb things above ground and decent uh, prices and they back their work. You can't ask for anything more. And now let me tell you something else. This is good news for you who might have the necessary, uh, you know, your master plumber or whatever you'd like to work for a great outfit like uh, Aero Plumbing. If you'll get a hold of them at aeroplumbing.net, they are hiring right now. That's aeroplumbing.net or just Google Aero Plumbing. All right, so Robert, I promised you here at the end of uh, the show, I'd bring up some good news. And here you go. Are you ready? I'm ready, my friend. All right. Minnesota State Senator Carla Nelson is introducing a bill that will prevent colleges and universities from limiting free expression on campus. The Republican lawmakers' bill is called Campus Free Expression Act and is intended to protect the critically important free speech rights of students on campus while keeping them involved and informed. Quote, free speech and freedom of the press are two great bulwarks uh, for liberty, Nelson said, and that is why it is so critically important that we make sure that those freedoms are protected just as our Constitution mandates, both in our society and, of course, on our campuses of higher learning. In fact, if we want students to be involved and informed, we must not limit the speech, the dialogue, and the debate. That is what the bill that will be introduced is all about. Uh, The state lawmaker also brought students forward to talk about this bill, and then she finished up by saying, I believe there should be no resistance to this bill, Institutions of higher education are not exempt from the provisions of the United States Constitution. We can't let uh, yet judge the degree of support for or opposition to the bill because it's not yet been formally introduced, but it would be the first day of the legislative session. And she said one of the things this will do uh, is that it's going to uh, make sure that there are no you know, free speech zones uh, that many see as unconstitutional uh, constitutional restrictions on student expression, as well as ensure that students and faculty alike have the ability to invite guest speakers regardless of their views. 
There is hope, my man. There is hope. There, there is indeed hope. Amen. I look forward to reading that legislation, and I agree with you. We will get perhaps several sponsors for a comparable uh, idea bill in Arkansas during the next legislative session. We will make and, sure well, it happens, Robert. Well, I, I promise you. Oh, I know it'll happen. Uh, but I'll add to this. While she was focusing, or at least the description was focusing on student speech, lest we forget faculty speech, because that is often under restriction as well. You're not allowed to say this. You're not allowed to comment right. on that. Right. You're not allowed to address issues of gender and race, unless, of course, you sign up for the right dogma and you... Uh, uh, propagate the right message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, you must say um, uh, uh, letter carrier. By the way, a colleague of mine uh, texted me uh, during the break and pointed out it's mankind, not human, from which man is derived. And either, <laughs> you know, either is good, and he was supporting our discussion. But I want to clarify that point that these words have independent meaning. And as long and professors and students and invitees uh, are all entitled to the benefits of the First Amendment, and it's unfortunate that we need to enact legislation that says, "Hey, by the way, the First Amendment still applies." But since we do have to do that, we will. And I assure you, I am confident there are plenty of legislators as well as folks over in the executive branch uh, that I know, who I know, uh, who will be uh, very excited to introduce uh, this type of legislation uh, um, so that we don't have uh, the types of problems that we have been seeing across this nation. I agree. So Minnesota State Senator Carla Nelson, I'm going to get a hold of her this week, uh, Robert. How How'd you like her to join us maybe next Monday? Fantastic. I love it. We'll see if we can't make that happen, have her be part of the show and, uh, and talk with her. She sounds like a, a, a same soul to me that goes along with you and I. So be a lot of fun to talk to her. You mean logical and observant of the U S constitution, those two things. Yeah. Yeah. That really (laughs) take them seriously for what they say instead of, uh, administrations backing down. I want, I hope we bring forth this legislation in the universities that somebody says, Oh no, we can't do that. We can't let that happen. We've got to have the final say on what people well, can say. Well, we'll ha- then we'll have that debate. Like we had the debate, uh, for various bills that have become before the, uh, Arkansas legislature already. And now, like been, FOIA. Uh, quite- Right. There's FOIA. Uh, Charlie Collins, uh, by the way, one of the great constitutionalists in the legislature right now. Uh, um, he has been fighting for constitutional values while there. There are plenty of others, and I, uh, I, I will be sure to mention them as time goes on. I don't want to uh, suggest he's the only one. Um, there's a lot of them. Dan Greenberg and Nate uh, Bell, uh, no longer in the legislature, either one of them. Also great constitutionalists. Uh, and there are plenty of others. Uh, Tim Griffin, uh, my friend, lieutenant governor, uh, great constitutionalists. So we've got great constitutionalists uh, throughout our representatives. And they, I have no doubt, uh, will be behind such ideas uh, when the time is right. Oh, by the way, I heard something today when I had Conduit for Action on that I found very interesting. Senator mm-hmm. Senator Hindren uh, evidently is thinking about running for governor because he's running for the position starting in 19, 
for the position of uh, Senate pro tem. And typically, okay. if you want to have that kind of swag, then you're looking for more power. And he's saying that he might want to run for governor. And I made this statement, and I'll make it right now. Uh, there's really one guy that I think would be perfect for the governor's chair come another four years. And I think most of us know who that is. You're talking about Tim Griffin. I am. Yes, yes. Well, I, I can tell you right now, I already am supporting Tim Griffin. Uh, I support Ace in the next election. I don't want to gloss over that fact. Uh, uh, I don't think anybody is, but I just want to em- emphasize that. I'm supporting Asa, uh when he's up. Uh, and then when he's term limited out, I can tell you already, uh, I'm supporting Tim, uh, Tim Griffin, uh, the lieutenant governor. I hope not, I'm not being too uh, familiar uh, with him on the show, but uh, uh, I'm absolutely supporting him. And I'm not saying there aren't other good people out there, uh, but I can tell you this, not as good, plain and simple. I, I totally agree with that. Let me tell my listeners on Wednesday at three o'clock, I'll have an hour interview with Jan Morgan, who is, uh, you know, primarying the, uh, the right. governor and he'll be on, she'll be on, on Wednesday to talk about what she believes, the things that she wants to do and, uh, why she thinks she should be governor of the state of Arkansas. So that's coming up on, on Wednesday tomorrow. Don't forget, uh, Ryan Norris from Americans for prosperity will join us with the power panel and state representative Sullivan. Uh, will join us in some interesting things that he wants to talk to us about dealing with Medicaid expansion and things of that nature. So that's all coming up tomorrow. With that said, we are out of time here with Robert uh, Steinbach. I hope everybody enjoyed our discussion today about freedom of speech because we're going to do it next Monday again. I'll warn you right now. It is a serious, serious topic that needs to be talked about a lot because we got problems in this country about it. Amen, brother. If it's Monday uh, in the last hour uh, on Dave Ellswick, it's freedom of speech. That's right. We talk about everything, and you call in, you get to talk about what you think. Hey, with that said, Robert, have a good one. I'll talk to you next week. We appreciate you. Thanks so much. Robert Steinbach here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget again, tomorrow. I will have Ryan Norris on with the power panel. He is the new state director of the uh, Americans for Prosperity chapter. He'll be talking with us. We'll talk about what's going on in the fiscal session. That's coming up. And tomorrow, about the fiscal session again, we're going to talk uh, to Dan uh, Sullivan, state representative, find out what he's got for us to talk about. We'll bring uh, bring uh, him in. He's coming into the studio. Both of them are to join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show, plus the Bible Guys. Remember, Bible Guys at SalemLR.com. If you have a question, you can email your question to us. They will attempt and uh, do a very good job when they attempt to answer whatever question that you have. Make it as tough as you can. You know, say that you're an atheist if you want to, and give me your, your, your proofs for uh, the the existence of a powerful being called God. We'll talk about that too. I'd be more than happy to get in on that discussion. All right. With that said, we got to take a night off uh, and then get back here tomorrow. Russ and I will be here. We look God willing and the Creek don't rise. Creek don't rise is real important because it's supposed to start raining again tomorrow for the next two days, then clear up. And we're supposed to have about five or six really nice spring like days. 
With that said, I'll see you tomorrow. Two here on the Dave Ellswick Show. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.